Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, Marvels, Magic, and Mutants week after week through their many titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And today, we have a number of amazing titles kicking off our summer of Magic and Marvels here at X's for Podcast. First up, we're going to be talking to cover artist David Nakayama, whose work on the Hellfire Gala took the X-verse by storm. We're going to be taking a look at X-Men Legends number 4, Strange Academy number 11, and Mighty Valkyrie number three. But first up, myself, Blake, and Arturo had the pleasure of interviewing David Nakayama and talking about not just his X-Men work, but his work at the greater picture of Marvel. You might recognize his art from the box of Marvel Legends figures or from some of your favorite Marvel mobile games. So we got to talk to him about all of that. We hope you guys enjoy. If you do, don't forget you can check us out over on YouTube where we're posting the Daily X, new content every day, as well as Twitter and Patreon at X's for Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Blake. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blake's Buzz, and you can check out my indie comics blog at Blake'sBuzz.com. And I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox, but who cares? Let's get to our special guest today, David Nakayama. Uh-oh. So welcome it's to the funny. show. I have to say, Blake, you did all the work to set this interview up. So I want to put the ball in your court, uh, talking a little bit about why we're all here today. Yeah. So so David, Nico pretty much runs, the, uh, Nico and his husband run the podcast, basically the X's for podcast. So he does like the majority of the editing. He puts the groups together. Um, you know, like he just, he's a fucking rock star. But so yeah, yeah. he's like, X's for podcast is his baby. And I, I finally feel like I'm bringing something to the table. Cause I was like, I was like, I got David. And they were like, Oh, finally you did something. <laughs> no, Yay. Well, well now that we've commodified you. <laughs> We're making Blake work, work to, to earn his keep. Someone's gotta. I, I, I feel honored to be a worthy get for the podcast. So thank oh, you. dude. Big time. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and you're in great company. Mm. We've recently had on like Mike Carey and um, David uh, Baldion and Scotty oh. Young. The, yeah. Young. So we're just kind of like going through some badass cover art vibes right now it's a really exciting place Those to be great oh yeah i sat next to baldeon at a new york comic-con one time uh just briefly for those you know like at the marvel booth they they bring an artist for like 45 minutes and you sign really quick for like like 10 people and then it's done <laughs> is baldeon a really nice guy in person because he seems it yeah he is he I, uh, cool. he's i think he's from spain uh yeah. he has a very charming accent and I, I wanted to pick his brain about the domino design that he'd done at the time he was drawing domino um and then of course now X Factor but right before that it was Domino and uh, he, he was very flattered that I would ask and he seemed like a really cool guy we only have the short time to talk but I was glad for it are you uh, by any chance have you been reading X Factor I have not read much X Factor but I have been very hardcore on Core X-Men Marauders and some of the other X books hell X, yeah X-Men definitely Hellions down. are you into Hellions I have many Hellions books because Hellions I did covers so for them so 
Yes, uh, so we're here. We're here with David Nakayama, who is one of, in in my humble opinion, which I mean, some people let me review comics, so I guess my opinion means a little bit. Is one of the top cover artists in the game right now, um, and he's got to be busy. Uh, he's he. I almost want to say you're putting out peach numbers, man. Like you're. I just feel every every week, man. I you have like new covers out, um, and I just found your Zinescape covers. Like I didn't know you were doing those till recently, um, and, and now you're you're doing. You know, you were with the you know slinging out the. Uh, the store exclusives and and now they're the publishers are just bringing you on they're they're like well we got to get this guy and i think that's it's, awesome you know i'm just so happy it's working out you know i had i had been in the video game industry for a long time and just missed comics too much came back as a cover artist and my whole goal was to build this brand you know like try to do more and more comic and cover stuff because my heroes since i was a kid have always been people who did that you know like jim lee's and j scott campbell's and adam hughes i just wanted to be like those guys so much so if it's working at all, that's, it just makes me so happy, you know, and, and fortunately during this pandemic year, we didn't know what was going to happen. I thought maybe logically, you know, people would have less money, wouldn't be able to support this kind of stuff that much. So I was bracing for the impact, but instead it was the exact opposite. People went bananas. They wanted to buy more comics, more games, like uh, anything to, to, you know, have fun. Escape. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's been a really productive year. And unfortunately all the, the companies have been, uh, very generous coming to me for for projects so yay <laughs> thank you art gods <laughs> <laughs> no it's awesome i i'm i'm both excited and terrified when i get emails from unknown because it's just like how much money is blake gonna spend and i used to tell myself that so like i'm new to this variant game like it wasn't a, a few months or, or i guess like around the time x-men uh after hoxpox started was when i started noticing the store exclusives. i didn't mm -hmm. before then i didn't really know what those were and then i found these store exclusives and i was like whoa that's cool you can't buy these anywhere and then and I noticed I found out about virgin variants and I was like whoa like you just get all the art and like none of the you know like no branding or anything and it's very they look really nice in a frame you know it's almost like a print instead of a cover and so I right. I stumbled onto that and I I, st I tried to tell myself I was like all right we'll, we're not gonna go there we're like trade dress that's it like we're gonna you know stick stick on that road I didn't stick to that road like well <laughs> on, well Blake that's that's what brings us here this isn't even an interview actually it's an intervention <laughs> uh, we're all here because we care about you buddy we want to we're worried you. we're not angry <laughs> yeah man I, I think i speak for all of us like the you know the podcast we all really came together as as friends and just kind of created this whole thing during the pandemic basically you know it it, it really became like a an escape and and there's just such a community for better or worse you know online uh around around currently x-men and obviously you know more broadly um so yeah thank you for like being part of it i think it's so cool that uh, that we're celebrating writers and artists and interior artists and colorists and letterers. Letterers, and like, yeah. It's, you know, there, there's more awareness that it's uh, it, it's an ecosystem of talent and there's just different parts of it. And it's really cool to interact with people. Like I always see you online, you're like very chill. You're like a normal guy, you know? <laughs> just a regular everyday normal guy. Yeah, you reply to people, you're like not above it. That's so cool. I think it's the least I can do. You know, like uh, someone tells me in a comment, like, hey, I bought your book. I mean, like, geez, I'm going to definitely say thank you at the very minimum i try to you know put in some some kind of interesting comment that's personal to that person if i possibly can i want people to know i'm grateful for it it's, well uh, i, I want to happen without them you know i want you to know that i'm plotting this whole like collage on my wall that's going to be just like the prints of the magazine covers of the awesome. of, what's you. the name of the, the magazine is called hellfire it's called hellfire because it hellfire. had to be right and and <laughs> and uh and emma frost is our editor-in-chief that's right yeah 
yeah, it was it was funny. Like uh, they they said, draw draw the you know. Do you want to do these twelve Hellfire covers? I'm like, I cannot possibly do twelve of them, but I'm going to try to do six because I would love nothing better than draw you know the lovely ladies of X Men uh, in their Hellfire outfits. I mean, my God, what could be more fun? So um, what yeah. what was that process like? They what did you get as reference material, and how much leeway were you given? And kind of like, well, it was it was really different. You know, like we were you know over time we've done all these different themed covers for you know with with unknown comics so maybe you're aware of the marvel versus capcom inspired versus covers or we did a pirate one one time we did uh which i'd love to go do more of by the way because we only had two characters on that uh we did the color bleeds of course which have been very popular and i'm sure we'll continue to do those but then when hellfire came up it seemed like an opportunity to try something different you know like uh we could have done more color bleeds and put them in there but that didn't seem as exciting as the possibility of doing something that that thematically felt you know ma- matched that event and i'd seen russell dowderman had already done like the the red carpet you know of course you have to have some red carpets for something like that we we had a pepe Raz cover where all the girls were walking down the staircase perfect you know so i'm thinking to myself what can i do that's going to tie in with this high fashion theme that no one else has done before and i hit on the the fashion magazine cover and everyone seemed to like that you know the editors were down with that unknown was down with that and so then it was about well okay i haven't drawn one of those before so what makes a vogue cover you know so then then it's internet research time and i had to figure out you know what makes these distinctively look like a vogue cover yeah uh, and you know tried on a bunch of things and eventually kind of hit on a formula that worked and part of the formula is is not having a formula like they don't do the same thing <laughs> yeah it's about every drama. single time right like they, yeah. they 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 change the 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 font and where the lettering is and and what's being said every single time so i knew i was signing up for you know coming up with brand new cover blurbs every single time the only thing that was going to stay the same was that logo so and cool. uh so cool yeah i, I mean, got people, that vibe like some of them were a little more vogue some of them were a little more maxim maybe like it was kind of like there was a little you know you were playing with the medium of magazine that's covers. Fair. and yeah i was going i was going for things in and around vogue but right, inevitably right. it's going to you know drift here and there because right uh it's me doing my best shot i don't know i'm not anna wintour <laughs> i i don't know exactly what she was no, you're nina garcia there, it's but, totally fine <laughs> it's easy to make that confuse, you know, to confuse the two of us, but, you know. <laughs> and, you know, there's actually a, a really cool history of sort of magazine style covers uh, going back to sort of like the Millie the Model days at Marvel, right? True. And I yeah. think about 15 years ago, we had the Models Inc. series, which right. was uh, the return of Millie the Model, and it sort of tied in MJ a little bit. And it was really exciting because it was the first time I said to myself, because I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of a virgin variant guy. I want to be able to make it a wallpaper or something, you know, like I, I want to I want to pretty my art, not that I don't appreciate the incredible work by the production design team like Tom Muller or the incredible work by uh, virtual calligraphy and everybody they employ there, you know, they all do an incredible job. But there's something kind of beautiful about the uh, undressed art. There's uh, there's a certain like subtlety to the nudity, of, right? And I feel like one of the things that these covers really bring to light, especially, you know, in their historical context, is they work as pinups and they work as covers there is something that is a unique experience about the uh virgin variant versus the true cover with the the you know all the dress on it and i think one of the things that makes that so fascinating for me is you don't see covers telling a story like that a lot especially not covers that are at uh sort of a store not you know not to not cast an aspersions but when you think of covers you tend to think of the main cover and Mm -hmm. i love the way these further kind of built in the mythos of krakoa is fame krakoa 
Krakoa is culture. culture. Krakoa is this growing yes. idea. There was this, there's a, a narrative drive from the work that really changes the work in a positive way. Well, and it's inspired yeah. so many people. Like truly before, before the event even hit the amount of cosplays. And I mean, I, I think three of us on the pod got like avatars and, you know, commissioned like artists to <laughs> create our hellfire Sona. And I, and I want to give you props for that because you and, and you know, the rest of the X office helped kind of make this playground for all of us to get really excited about. And now that we're like midway through the event, it is so much more than anyone ever kind of imagined. And right, it's, it's yeah, fun that real. it's been this whole like, oh, it's going to be a, a cool party. And yes, it's that, but it's also a milestone. So really yeah, that's, that's the most interesting thing about it. Like the, uh, and all credit to the X office, all the stuff was designed completely independently of me. I came on board to do some some covers after the fact, but they, they did a great job designing it and imagining this event, the likes of which we've never seen before. Um, and it's just so fun. And it, it feels so appropriate for, for the mutants. You know, there are all these, you know, these beautiful people with incredible powers, like what's not to like, and you know, what better way to show them off with, uh, in the, you know, with a fancy party. I, it's, it's genius to, to be honest. And I saw it just the same as you guys. I saw it announced, you know, with the Dowderman covers and, you know, uh, it was so powerful and strong. It kept people talking just about the designs, Yeah. Okay. you know, I'm... the whole time. And no one was even talking about, well, what's this event actually about? That's how they've had an entire event about kind of one right. issue that they've stretched out really beautifully because we're all just staring. Yeah. As a, yeah, as a I... guy who like, like, you know, I'm a, I, I wear my, you know, ball caps backwards. I'm like a jean and t-shirt guy. And this, this whole of just the, the advertising of the event, like I've never thought about fashion really like I have when dealing with the, the X-Men or with the Hellfire Gala. Like I was just, I'm everything I saw, I was blown away. Like, you know, Storm with her cloud dress, uh, magic with the, the fabric horns, um, just like every, all these little details that both, cool. um, that just encapsulate what's great about these characters, but also in like an egregious and like overblown, but beautiful way. Like they can't fight in these outfits. No one could, right. but I'm loving seeing them in it. You know, it's just so, it's so cool. It's like, I don't, like it just blew me away. And like I said, I've, I've been a big fan of yours for a while. And you know, your, your color bleed series is, is just truly epic. And I was the guy who, who slept on uh, the, your Scarlet Witch cover. And I was like scrounging the earth, like trying to find one on it. Like they Thank were there, but I was, I was trying like to get one and not, and still be able to make my car payment, you know, like, right, yeah. <laughs> Please don't overpay the. You know they'll pop up again. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, and I, but I was I was lucky and I, I found one and I snatched it. And but yeah, so like I was over like I was overwhelmed by all these really beautiful gala covers and um the, they're doing that 12 piece connecting variant and I was like so excited about it. And then I got the email saying that you know you were doing the the gala. And here's the here's the funny thing, David is um I'm I'm known in our group chat as like you know posting like the variant covers. I'm like oh this is like I just got this email. And so I posted the email and uh, the, the deal that Unknown did where you could like buy the shirt and get all the covers. Yeah. So I post and I'm like, guys, look at this. And like, I mean, I think half of our podcast group order, like everybody just started ordering them just like ding, 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 ding. And I wound We're getting up buying t-shirts. We're yeah, getting no, that's what happened. I picked mine based on the fucking t-shirt. I, wow. I was like, no, I have to get the dress because I want the t-shirt that comes in that color. That's amazing. It was, it was made me, made me sad. David, I want to give you three words. I want you to take them to heart and just run with it. Inferno swimsuit special. <laughs> yes. Dude, Bring it like, back. It's the 90s I, again, baby. Give me a swimsuit I grew, special. Uh, I have all of those. I grew up with them. 
I was I was learning about Adam Hughes around the time those came out and he was covering, you know, most of them. I, I thought they were super fun, you know? I also, frankly, thought they were pretty inclusive for the time. There were guys in, the, in that, uh, in those books. So I'm a little, I, I'd be all about it if they decided to bring that back. And there seems shout to be- Shout out, shout out, quick shout out to Chris Cooper, who I, he worked at Marvel at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, queer uh, person of color who mm. helped make sure that one, at least oh, the one Chris, of the, the uh, Chris Cooper, uh, yes, the, yes. From the park, from Central Park, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, helped ensure that at least one of the swimsuit specials was super gay. So <laughs> <laughs> I recently I learned I that. The super I gay recently one, but... <laughs> learned that. Comics are a really cool place right now. And and I, I'm super happy about it. And it, it's, I really just am into the variant game. Like, I don't know why. I love what's inside of the comics, like more. But I think I love the outside of the comic almost as much. Like, it's, 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 it's really It's like close. two separate, you kind of hit on it before, I think. It's like two separate things. There's, there's what's in the story and, you know, what's coming out of publishing. But there's also sort of this art gallery thing that's going on with variants where, you know, I, I'm not speaking for myself here, but you go and you grab like the best artists out there and you put them on the hottest titles. And that's very special. You know, like that's that's why you want to buy them. I don't think it would work if you just put, you know, any old, you know, person on it. it it's got to be like the favorite. So like when Kale New does a cover, I'm very excited about that. Or when Campbell does his covers, I'm very excited about that. It's special. It's like an event on its own. And that it's a comic on the inside is a bonus, but I don't think that's why most people are buying variants. It's more because it's like an art object yeah. that is that is special. So I, I don't know. Speaking, speaking of special art objects, and I, I and I can speak to this personally because uh, if anybody's you know following me on Instagram, you know I am as addicted as Blake is <laughs> to variants. I am to legends and action figures. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I would love to talk <laughs> about that. Like uh, I know you've done a lot of Age of Apocalypse. I just picked up the the Krakoa era that has all artwork by Pepe, which is so amazing. I know, it's uh, cool. Yeah, and I was like, this is my last set. And then I saw like the boxes the, the, that you're <laughs> have coming with like, you know, Magneto and Rogue. And just if you could talk to us about that, how yeah. how that how that connected with you. Oh, it's uh, it's so fun. Like uh, there's this fun thing that happens where you're an artist where you create the art and then some months later it comes out and it's a physical product that you hold in your hands. Well, the, the toys are like that times 10, you know, like yeah. you, you go to Target and then your thing is hanging on a on a on a, on the board in the toy section that <laughs> is magical and there was there was even this one month where for some reason three different sets that I had been involved with were all hanging on there at the same time I was just like for one month it was nothing but my stuff I couldn't believe it but yeah it, it's I'm really honored to work with them they have really really high production values really talented designers and artists working there making you look extra good and it's so nice to be asked to you know like uh, to be to draw your favorite stuff like your personal favorite stuff I, I can't think of a more fun event than Age of Apocalypse, right? Like that was a big deal to me when I was, uh, you know, reading it when it came out. And so years later for someone to say, hey, do you want to do toys based on that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like nothing's off the table for Hasbro. Like they are not afraid to do deep dives. And, and you know, every character has their fan out there. And, uh, you know, like if we did, we did uh, Rage, for example, or, or the original Captain Marvel was part of the same set. And people came out and they were like, they were very, very excited to finally have the toy of their favorite character. I mean, that's what happens every single time. But when you're talking about like Age of Apocalypse Apocalypse X-Men, it's another level because that was something just about everybody liked. You know, that was like a a hit, like a solid hit. And, you know, the first line of toys was, you know, seven figures and it it hit some of the high points, but it it also left out some of the the favorite characters. So I was really glad we could come back and do Rogue and Magneto and Iceman and like a lot of the characters. Yeah, well, 
well, Creed was in the first set, but in the second set, like that, we could get so many of the other A's that you want in there. It's great. Like, I, I, there are more. I mean, we could, I, they haven't asked me about a, a third set yet, but I believe there are enough good characters to do a third set easily. Oh, yeah. There's such a wealth of characters. I also like that you got to do, like, the the weird one when they, because they did the, the Transformers X-Jet. Yeah. You did the art <laughs> for that packaging, too. And I was like, yes. Oh, my God. Like, there was just, uh, like, I'm 35 years old, man, and I'm flipping <laughs> shit because one of my favorite artists is doing art on oh, a Transformer thanks. X-Men toy. That was like that was like a Venn diagram of like some of my favorite <laughs> things. I'm like, was this cooked up in a lab like just for me? Like, it was perfect. They they knew what they were doing there. That's yes. like, it, it's not even, it was not on anybody's radar at all, but it was, you know, they, they, they cooked this thing up that is just like catnip for X-Fans. And, and I don't think, I, I don't think anyone could turn that one down. It was too cool. Yeah. Shout How, out so- to our corporate overlords at Disney <laughs> and uh <laughs> so you david you you draw i'm a i'm a big fan of your like your your pinup you know variants because they're you draw, you draw very beautiful women um but Great, you thanks. also draw really cool robots like you did, oh. the, you did the avengers mecha cover the issue what was it, issue three and then you Thank did you. the you did the robot uh you did the robot art for the x-jet like true so what's like what's your fa- like favorite thing to draw not, not necessarily like a character but like i mean what what do you get like pumped about when it like comes in your email or or like a request that someone gives you like what gets you like really hyped and you're like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stay up late i'm gonna finish this i'm like something that you're excited well the short answer is all of it um because i'm just as much of a fan as anything else you know like i i did i got into this because i love it (laughs) completely and so it kind of the short the slightly longer answer is that it kind of comes down to what was i reading when i was a formative age you know like uh, the all the characters and i read everything you know like in, in the early 90s like all the marvel and dc stuff the valiant stuff like i have great fondness like built into me from that time so if someone reaches out and says hey do you want to do anything marvel yep do you want to do anything dc yep do you want to do like any of those things i'm going to say yes if it was an 80s cartoon or something based on it like he-man the other day yep oh, i'm going to do that you did he-man you did a he-man thing? it just got announced it's awesome oh, dude that's so cool you'll have that's to check so it cool. out it's he-man i've said he-man is like my first fandom like that was like yes. when i was like four years old like not today uh-huh. myself you you look like you're a little a bit younger but he-man was not, like the i think first we're about one. the same age yeah <laughs> it's, it's well, just the asian genes you just suddenly when you get to a certain age you just age <laughs> about 50 years all at once so drop, uh, drop the skincare regimen in the <laughs> in the comments below <laughs> uh yeah but, man uh, he-man like he-man holds such a near and dear place in my life and like yeah. now to see it coming back it's like what but that's just the thing that's like what why do i want to do this it's just like i love the characters and that is the reason that it it's just it, it's hard to say no you know there we're getting to the point in the career now and i'm grateful for this problem but it's too many cool things i cannot mm. do them all i have to you know i have to be judicious about you know the calendar these days you know uh, i have uh, it's, it's getting hard you know sometimes i have to turn down things that would have been really fun but it's just uh, well, I, all like, the other things would suffer for it the 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 love and passion you have for it definitely comes across in your in your work there's like a joy in your work that that is just like in everything that, I, that i've seen thank you yeah. Yeah, it's like I, a visual charm. It's everything you draw is incredibly charming. And it's just like all of you have these amazing styles. Like yours is yours is very like soft. Like you have like these really, you know, soft edges, which I think plays well when, when you draw female characters because you know that you they're the, the curves and whatnot. 
Got to do it. Yeah. And, and whereas like Kale's very like angular and it's, yeah. I don't know, like, I really like, I like the juxtaposition of, of your guys's covers. I want to ask a question about uh, some of your art that's maybe a little bit not variants, but speaking of very charming, uh, I was recently doing research for another project where I, I cover uh, the Loki series that's going on right now. And I was right. trying to prove a point about how there's a, a pretty consistent amount of young shitty Lokis, right? Like it's not hard <laughs> to find young little shit boy Lokis, right? And um, in the course of searching, I came across a piece of art and I'm like, why have I just seen this piece of art about a Loki? Because I had okay. just been researching for this episode uh, and I had just seen it on your Avengers Academy oh, art on your page. <laughs> so I think one of the things that I is so fascinating is you maybe don't even realize where your art is going to wind up coming across somebody's uh, attention because that was on like yeah. one of the official Marvel fandom wikias that Weird. that like it came <laughs> up as a Loki because it's a, a great image of him and he's like puppeting and like so it's very it's very Loki right but yes how does you know you said like coming into Target you see stuff and you're like, Whoa. like how is it different designing for different things I mean like obviously you design with audience in mind but you know your work does have a great diversity whether it's the Deadpool cover with the segmented brain or it's any of the fashion variants or it's the very different style on the uh like game art how do you feel out that vibe and that dovetails with my question what is your process do you start off digitally do you sketch with a pencil on a napkin and kind of get an idea like talk us through that and are the napkins available (laughs) no (laughs) not not in hawaii we have no napkins here uh the two separate questions i i don't know i should take them one at a time maybe the uh the first question from nico was uh sorry from remind me we'll get back to process after but uh you know your art does have such a variance to it and you know it's things from you know very line weight and the you know yeah that kind of thing great so so here's the thing like i i when i was coming of age i tried to draw like rob liefeld jim lee whatever for a while and then when i was in college i was trying to draw like uh you know j scott campbell for a while i got into video games eventually and then i had to throw all that out the window because they expect color artwork and i was doing like the pencil comic thing so i kind of learned to be a digital painter and then obviously whenever you make a new video game it can't look exactly like the old video game so every time you 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 do one of these you come up with a completely new art style you learn these new tricks so i take all of that i'm coming back to comics as a cover artist and i'm i'm like trying to decide well what the heck is even my style right because like i can draw all these different styles but which one is me like i I had a really hard time i struggled to, to to define what that even was um and so when i was going when i when i approach a project to finally answer your question i am thinking about you know what is what's the right angle to to make this pop the most right like if it's a horror kind of vibe that you want the audience to feel or if it's humor or if it's just like sex appeal or or whatever it is like you can't approach that the same way there has to be like a a, a different uh way you get into it so for each project i'm always thinking about well what is the what is the thing that this project needs to be in a way artistically for maximum effect so if i'm drawing like right now on my drawing table there's a miles morales cover oh, and sorry. yeah <laughs> I I'm love still, miles. <laughs> he's great he's totally great but what's really cool about miles like especially these days like they just introduced his brand new costume you know like yesterday it looks awesome super urban totally different from other spider-man uh outfits we've seen before absolutely unique to him and frankly to everybody else in comics like nobody looks like that and it's so cool and the whole thing was started i would say from the spider-verse movie anyway that's why miles is awesome like right now like nobody else does that he's like dialed into this you know this zeitgeist about urban cool and so i'm thinking to myself if i'm gonna draw a a miles cover you know i have 
to capture that. He's got to be like really, you know, uh, like what he's wearing is got to be really cool. And like, his, like I want to see his shoes really close up, you know, so, it, you know, he's going to Spider-Man pose with the, you know, things closer to you and farther away. Maybe that shoe's close to you. I don't know. That's kind of what I'm thinking as one example. When we had Hellfire, that was a completely different thought, right? That was about high fashion, you know, about making the women look as beautiful and stunning as possible. Other times it's like, um, I got He-Man off the top of my head. That was also completely different. That was about giving people what they remember He-Man being, you know, like he's this over the top, like muscle bound action guy who's, you know, who's flanked by all the coolest hench people that you can possibly have, you know, so, so I was trying to recapture that magic in a nostalgic way. I don't know. I, I'm giving you very, a lot of specific instances, but the, the point of it is that every project you have to approach in kind of a different way. And sometimes that, that even affects the style in a, in a big way. I'm always trying to keep my comics looking familiar from one to the next, but I'm going to pull out different tricks and methods depending on the cup. So hopefully that answers that question, but it does segue really good into process. We want to talk about that second question <laughs> now. Uh, so process uh, varies greatly. It depends on deadline and it depends on, um, you know, what the project even is. Sometimes I will sketch digitally, print it out on paper, and then like do the full like hand-drawn artwork thing before bringing it back into the computer and then finishing it color. Other times I'll just do the whole thing right in the computer. And it, it really just depends on the project. But for all the Hellfire ones, I felt like those are good ones to draw by hand. Because uh, wow. you, can, you, can you can focus on just one character. Everybody loves, you know, an original cover that has just one, you know, beautiful X lady on it. You know, that's never going to not be popular. So <laughs> it made a lot of sense. <laughs> so I guess that's, that's mainly how it is. It varies. The, 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 the approach and the execution vary depending on the project. But always... And you have a new series. Um, you have a new series out too. You're doing the, the symbiotes. Yeah. The Carnage the Carn Venom stuff too. That just all Thanks. Yeah, that was different. That was... So that's uh, a rare opportunity where Marvel reaches out and they say, we'd like you to actually redesign these characters. And I was very familiar with them from... You know, I bought all the Carnage stuff when that was coming out and Lethal Protector when Venom had his first miniseries. And I remember those guys really, really clearly. So our goal with, with the Life Foundation symbiotes, which I don't know if you guys listening to this all know, it's Scream, Agony, Riot, who was in the movie, uh, Lasher, and Phage. These five characters were getting redesigned and they wanted all the characters to have a visual association with Carnage. Uh, and so they, they said, that's what we want. What do you got? So <laughs> I pitched them on a few ways we could do it and we settled on what you saw, which is that they all have sort of a mantle that is, you know, uh, living, moving, gross Carnage red and black, but then their core color sticks out uh, on the rest of their body. And that unifies the group. They all look like they're almost in a Power Rangers kind of way. They're easy to recognize by their core color, but they're also united by the fact that they all have this Carnage stuff on top. Like a horrifying uh, sloppy lantern core. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, so I, I hope people really like them. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I do not know any more than you do what that's going to mean for the story. Like, how is Carnage back? And how, how are they connected to him now? Exactly what does that mean? I'm very excited to read Extreme Carnage and find that out. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, request Extreme Carnage from your LCS today. Yeah, right. 1-800. Yeah, I, I didn't know you did when it comes designs, to, When it comes to like awesome. Venom and symbiote science, I think like the best uh, policy is not really to sweat the details too much. Kind of, you just roll with it. Yeah. People <laughs> yeah, come I, back. It's it's all good. Right. And you know, at the end, what it what it's all about is that people really, really like the symbiote characters, that they find it fascinating and interesting. And like there's a reason why Venom is, you know 
you know, he's big enough to be his own universe at this point. He's no longer like a Spider-Man villain. He's much bigger than that. And, you know, these characters are part of his universe at this point. And, yeah. you know, people, sometimes you'll, you'll hear fans complain like, what? Carnage, didn't he just die? Whatever. Nah, nah. You know what? There are so many people that want to read Carnage Monthly. This is Carnage Monthly. Like, this is great. This is what people yeah. want. So, of course, we, you know, Marvel's got to give it to them. That's what the people want. <laughs> <laughs> they are good at, at like oversaturating us, both in things we want and things we didn't know that we like. I never knew I wanted a 12-piece connecting variant of a red carpet, you know, <laughs> Hellfire Award show. But guess what? When I heard about that, like, I was, I the people I order my comics from, Comics on the Green, um, I, I talk to their, uh, the, one of their coworkers a lot on Twitter. Like, we just, we both talk a lot throughout the day. And so when I see something, I just tell her, I'm like, hey, I need this. And she's like, okay, it's on your pull. And then they ship it twice a month and it's, they're awesome. Uh, but yeah, like, I just, <laughs> when I saw that Hellfire variant, uh, said i was like i was like i want this how much is it going to cost me and then when i found out they were normal price i was like finally like <laughs> well yeah because i was like man i was ready i was ready to, to shell out some bucks like i was <laughs> i was real happy and then that actually after after the record just give your credit card number to david right. yeah sure. <laughs> we'll just like we'll hook you up nice. <laughs> it well, won't I, get you very far <laughs> but i'll give it <laughs> i sure hope we get to meet at a, at a comic convention real soon so i can sign those for you yeah i'm gonna be that asshole with like 50 issues like here you go thanks david <laughs> i love that i absolutely love that everyone's always so apologetic and i'm thinking to myself well wait a minute you've been collecting me forever this is like the best <laughs> i can't imagine what artist is going to object to that oh yeah i think it's half fear of you half fear of the line behind you yeah, yeah it's the people we, i think it's, we it's will, the angry guy we'll, behind we'll it. still take you up on it though yeah looking forward <laughs> to like comic cons being a thing again yeah well as a matter of fact we're uh uh, we're buying tickets for MegaCon right now. That's nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. Are so, you going to be at a table there or? Yeah, it's going to be, uh, I'm going to be with the unknown uh, table. They're going to have an, uh, like apparently a table right up front. That's very exciting. And uh, they tell me they're going to have like an uh, an extra large allotment of my books. If I'm going to be there, obviously, you know, that makes sense. So, uh, you know, there, it sounds like it could be just a really great way to showcase the work that we've done in the last year. And it'll be a really great way to celebrate conventions coming back you know these books would have all been out at conventions over the last year if it was a normal year and uh instead you're just going to get it all at once you know it's going to be big <laughs> and megacon is that that's the one that's in orlando that's the one yeah so we oh uh, yeah come on down right to florida there. everybody let's go let's go let's do it. i'm looking forward to it we're thinking about other shows for the rest of the year but uh i'm thinking to myself i'm vaccinated you know like uh oh yeah let's i've do never it, missed an know? nycc in my life never oh wow. i've never missed an NYCC. It's literally never yeah. happened. And I've shown my book at the last four. So yeah. like, I'm like, I'm, I'm itchy. I gotta get my table. I gotta get my table. It's gonna happen. I, know, I, know. <laughs> I love that show so much. I, I fully hope to, you know, I've got my application in. Uh, I might go with Unknown. I'm not exactly sure what's happening yet, but for sure I want to do that show. I love it so much. It's the only time you get to see, like, all the Marvel editors that you work with, you know, all year. Because uh, they're all hope to work with, you know, whatever. <laughs> of course. I mean, of course. It's just like a really great way to uh connect with you know the the community
community and with the company. Uh, and that doesn't happen at, at all the shows. So uh, yeah, pretty important show. Right on. How did you get uh, entangled with Unknown? Because I mean, I just, I, I mean, could they flew, they flew you out recently, right? Because they're in Texas, right? Did you receive they are in a Texas. very compelling email? <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, I, I guess it's more that, um, you know, you were describing the way that retailer comics kind of came online not too long ago. It wasn't like always a thing. It's sort of, sort of a recent development. I had been in the circuit with other retailers. You know, I'd, I'd done a few and gotten to, you know, I was think we're at, I think we're at a Megacon like a few years ago and Darren was there having dinner with us while I was doing some stuff with a different uh, retailer. And so I got to know Darren and, you know, we kept in touch. And then one day it just seemed like the time was right. And so he reached out and I, I, I knew who he was, you know, of course, right away. We'd known each other for a while. And he said, uh, how about we try this? And we, you know, I really wanted to work with him because to me, it seemed like Unknown really has their stuff together. You know, like if you, if you remember the way their booths are at the con, they have those walls of just like nothing but cool covers, you know, just like 10 feet by 10 feet on this wall. And then another, uh, they're just so eye-catching. And then when you realize that it's all their product, like only they have that book, it's like, wow, you know, super impressive what they've been able to build o- over the time. So I just had a lot of respect for Darren and his operation and I wanted in. <laughs> so when he offered, I was very quick to say yes. Yeah, I think they have like the biggest comic book shop I've ever seen. I really want to make a, a road trip because they just bought that new build. It's not, it's not, yes. a, it's like a fucking complex. It's Where not, a, it's it? not, Where it's, it? in, it's in Texas. I don't know. Yeah. It's probably um, in Amarillo because that's where they're based. Okay. I assume it's near there, if not adjacent to it, but they have a new brand new brick and mortar store that's only been open, I want to say a month or two. And it just looks like a good time, you know, yeah. like they'll have all, all their exclusives and their shirts and they bring in guests all the time. And it, it seems like it'd be fun to go. And it's like, a, it's a warehouse. <laughs> it's a comic book warehouse. It's massive. It's yeah. I'm, I'm so happy for them. And like, I kind of like it because I feel like my money is going to a good place because they all <laughs> seem like they all seem like really good people. Um, you you've always been super nice to me online, David, you're being very kind, you know, now and to come on our show and stuff. And it's, so it's like, you know, some some stuff I buy and it's like, you know, you, you buy it, but you're you're in this kind of vacuum. And it's like, does anyone care? Like, am I am I just like putting money into some like greedy person's pocket? But like with them, yeah. like it was cool to like, oh, like I do buy a lot of their comic books and so do other people. And they bought this new beautiful store and they do all these big events and they they bring out all these creatives and do these signings and stuff. And they were doing all this at a time where, you know, we didn't have cons and stuff. And so they kind of digitally yeah. set up con tables on like Facebook streams and internet streams and, and right. you could pre you could like pre buy signatures and stuff like um I, I just think they're a really cool organization and I mean, I'm I, I think I'll thank them forever because that's how I found your art was was through oh, them and their emails wonderful. And, and you know well, like, I, you know I think that's well said they are really good people uh they came out here to Hawaii uh oh, to do, do a little signing with me uh back when it was a little less possible to travel but they made it out here and we had a really good time met a bunch bunch of new ones uh new employees that I hadn't known before uh they're all they're all really cool really fun to hang out with I think Darren has a really good business sense I think he's got a really good taste in who he's getting to to do the covers I'm not trying to toot my own horn I actually like you know the the Kales and you know the you know all the other great artists that or Jay Anacleto you know does a lot of stuff with them too so many uh and and when we did the Hellfire thing you know I said I couldn't do all 12 so it was really fun for me to see who got the other six you know and I was like oh look at what Jay did or or yes yes it, it's really fun and you know when those guys come back to me online 
online and they'll, they'll say something nice about my stuff. It blows my freaking mind. You know, like when, <laughs> when somebody you respect says something nice to you, you're like, what are you talking about? Like your stuff's so much better, man. Like, why are you saying that to me? So, <laughs> it's this mutual appreciation club and it feels really good, you know, that that, that happens. That's so cool. Is there, is there anything coming around the bend that, uh, that you can tease a little bit? Any, any legends, any, are you going to be part of Inferno? Anything that we can look forward to that you're uh, allowed to talk about? I do. There's so much stuff happening right now. There's, um, there's an all, in all, in all quarters, there's interesting stuff. There's more legends stuff coming for sure. Got some sketches in, <laughs> but no finished art just yet. Hang tight. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, X-Men stuff? Can you confirm if it's X-Men stuff without getting into I, anything else? I, I better not say that because they are so good at doing their reviews. Okay. I don't okay. Take okay. 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 Spent a lot of time talking about unknown. I, obviously we have plans to keep doing cool stuff together after miles. The next thing will be uh, an X-related unknown project. Hopefully you, you guys might be able to guess what it is based on some stuff I've been tweeting recently. <laughs> uh, pretty logical uh, guess, I would say. And I'm really excited about some DC stuff that's coming out. I've, I've spent a lot of my career doing Marvel because I love Marvel, but uh, hadn't had an opportunity to do too much DC stuff. But I cannot wait to share the thing that I just drew for them this week. It is, I think, one of the best things I've ever drawn. Oh, maybe. Cool. I can't think wait so. to see that. Oh. Yeah. Who, who's Big your favorite, favorite sir? <laughs> who's your, You'll know what, you what's your favorite I, DC character? Oh, that's impossible. You know, like it's, yeah? you know, all, there's so many good ones, but you know, Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Flash. I mean, all the, all the obvious ones. I don't think I, I just, go, I'm not going to be the guy that comes out here and says it's Rose and Thorn. You know, it's not like it's, it's one of the, <laughs> the bigger characters, but uh, there are too many good ones to choose. You should and, just and draw the way, dream I, I like, like okay. one of your sexy <laughs> cover images. The right answer, the right Orpheus, answer was just Green like... Lantern. We were looking for Green Lantern and you <laughs> any Lantern of your choice. Well, you know, I just did a Green Lantern. Yeah, uh, you just cover. did a Yellow Lantern. I did a oh, Jessica Cruz yeah. has become a Yellow Lantern and I got to draw that amazingly. So I'm so excited for that. <laughs> you know what else I, I stumbled across today while I was, you know, suffering at the day job and I was, I was looking at your website um, Thanks, and man. kind of checking stuff out before the show and I stumbled across your uh, your DC uh, serial covered and i <laughs> was like, like holy so shit yeah it's all it, there's like a cat woman a joker poison ivy a harley quinn but they're all eating cereal yes. and then you also did one with you did a venom and carnage cereal cover yeah. too and the carnage one is murderos which i thought was funny what's that about? tell us so, about the cereal covers yeah these are all available from sanctum sanctorum comics which is a really cool shop out of michigan i want to say detroit area I, I could be wrong sorry guys if i forget but sanctum sanctorum comics and oddities they're fantastic great people we did a series of cereal box themed covers which was their idea they brought that to me but uh, I I love comedy covers you know like I did a lot of Deadpool stuff it's right up my alley I took their idea and I put everything else I could I could into it it was very similar in a way to the Hellfire Gala covers because it's it's a combination of art and text that makes that work right um, for for the Venom covers I did all the text myself for all the Batman there are five of those Batman Adventures continue cereal box covers DC did the graphic design based on my sketches. So it was a sort of a collaboration there. But that was my first DC ever. I had not done anything related to DC prior to those covers. So they're very special to me. And I think they're really fun. I think they're really on character. So for example, you know, like the Poison Ivy one says, grow big and strong with <laughs> flower O's or whatever it was. You know, it's all it's all very obvious uh, puns. Uh, puns, like as punny as possible because that's what a cereal box is. They're all about the dumb puns and it works so 
<laughs> people um, seem to be uh, the most common comment on social media is like, why is this not a real product? You know, like we can have Overwatch O's, but we can't have Carnage cereal. You know? <laughs> I had Spider-Man cereal as a kid. I will have, you know, I yes. had Spider-Man cereal as a kid and it tasted like ass. It tasted <laughs> like ass with webbing and it was bad. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I also had um, yeah. X-Men SpaghettiOs. Well, yes, just just recently DC did ice cream. There was like, you could get like the Justice League. I, there was like Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Joker. Uh, Joker was mint chocolate chip. I was like, like the only green ice cream you could think of. But yeah, they they, they were okay. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't any it wasn't Ben and Jerry. But I mean, it's, it's kind of they, they should have gone cream. with pistachio because then they could have done a he's nuts <laughs> he's nuts <laughs> so, puns baby. If you were an ice cream flavor, you'd be yeah, pralines and dick. <laughs> I mean, I watch. Wait, I'm obsessed. With we can cut that. It's fine. We can Pray, that. No, we are not calling cutting pralines and dick. You're out of your damn. No. No. But, but yeah, uh, David, you're when I stumbled across those covers, like your Catwoman blew me away, and I was like, "Holy Thanks. shit, man!" Like you're, it, it's silly. I'm, I'm glad that DC. I, I hope you get to do more DC covers. Thank you so much, David. Oh, yeah, this was awesome. Pleasure. Thank you. Guys. This was awesome. And thank you, Blake, for making this happen. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I made a joke before I DM'd you, David, because uh, I was kind of nervous. You know, I'm still not used to this deal of like talking to comic prof- or not. I like talking to comic professionals, but the ask, you know, like, hey, do you want to come on my show? Because I know you guys are busy and like deadlines or things. And I made a joke. I was like, all right, like I'll do a big unknown order, <laughs> and then like I'll shoot him a DM, <laughs> and, like I've like been, inclu- been... I'll include the receipt and be like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was kind of like the the Cicero character or whatever, like kind of in the bushes with Blake. He's like, should I reach out to him again? I don't want to like stalk him. What's the right? You know? <laughs> well, I think you're good. Maybe try again on Friday. You know. But yeah, man, thank you so much for taking the time. This is it's been awesome. it's a fun break for me you know like i i cannot work continuously throughout the day i go a couple hours and then i take some time off and this kind of thing is a wonderful mental break i'm glad to do it i it, it seems like the least i can do for this kind of great support so thanks for spreading the word thanks for buying the books you guys are amazing who oh, doesn't man. love a mid-afternoon praise party <laughs> <laughs> i want to go into zoom conferences where everyone tells me my job is awesome <laughs> you're not wrong you're not wrong this is well appreciated Hey everybody, welcome back. Now in this next segment, myself, Jonah, Drew, and Steve talk about the incredible return to X-Factor that Louise and Walt Simonson have been running over in the pages of X-Men Legends number four. With a number of fans at various points of experience with the team, this made for an incredible segment and we hope you guys enjoy as much as we enjoyed making it. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico and you guys can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hi, I'm Steve and you can find me on Twitter at Howdy Duda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. It's Howdy Duda. And you can also hear me over on X of Words. Hey guys, I'm Drew. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Drusifer3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3. And I'm Jonah. And you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience just like baby Christopher did by pulling up some of that robot, which is really weird because he didn't pull up any of that robot. No, no, you silly beast, you, you silly angel. It was just the glow of the inside. 
Jean really does not want her kid to be immune. Yeah, she's having some issues. Like, girls really suffering. So I just need to dial in with I am a humongous Wheezy fanboy. I am, like, up and down the block. I'm just going to keep running around going, Have you guys met Wheezy? Do you guys know about Wheezy? And Walt is one of my heroes as well. His Thor run is legendary. I mean, the guy created the TVA. We should all be giving him a little bit of credit right about now. So, Jonah, you were on Legends 3 with me. But I think, Drew and Steve, this is your first time covering Legends with us. And that means it's your first time covering some Wheezy Simonson on the show. How do you guys feel about the opportunity for one of the most celebrated writers in the history of the X-Men to return to the run that made her the most well-received? I am super excited about this. Um, I literally just finished Inferno, which this issue, like the, these two issues take place right after. So literally I finished Inferno and went right into these two issues and it, it together, like, like it just, it worked out perfectly timing wise. Oh, I love that for you. That's so great. Mm-hmm. So I literally read X-Factor 1 all the way to X-Factor 43. Oh my gosh. And then you got to yeah. run right into this. That's amazing. Exactly. It worked. It literally flowed like perfect. <laughs> oh, dude. I'm like, I'm genuinely so happy. <laughs> Happy yeah. for you for that. That's like that's actual serendipity. Yeah. Now, Steve, did you have the same sort of serendipitous ex-factorian reaction, or was your situation a little bit more, you know, Cameron Hodgian? This was interesting. Uh, I appreciate that kind of uh, parallel. I really love Wheezy. Louise Simonson being absolutely one of my favorite writers. I am a huge fanboy of New Mutants Volume 1. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Samesies. Samesies, um, though. Samesies, samesies. Yeah. And Walt, Walt Simonson is just astonishing. I've always appreciated his work on Thor. I did not read the original X-Factor run that this takes place during. Um, so actually, that's it's kind of a funny story for even me covering this. I did not read the original X-Factor run, mostly because it is not fully available on Marvel Unlimited, including the crucial part with Angel's Death and Rebirth as Death. Um, it's actually a fascinating thing that you point that out. Number one, you are not one of the only people on this show. In fact, series creator Kyle, uh, contributor Kyle, has also said that's exactly why he hasn't read it. And as Drew pointed out in our group chat about two months ago, inexplicably, those issues aren't collected anywhere either. They're not. Yeah, I have tried and tried and tried to find it. Um, I'm super interested in reading this story I've heard about so many times. I've listened to the Explain the X-Men episodes over and over, so I'm very familiar with this era. But um, and I would love to read it, Marvel, if you give me the chance. But the the thing is that uh, I also have not been reading X Men Legends. I read this issue this morning for the very first time. I got it because I was going to talk about it today. I frankly very much enjoyed it. I'm a little confused as to where it fits in. It seems to be just before Judgment War and just after Inferno, but Cameron Hodge sort of threw me for a loop in his characterization here between those two events. Yeah, this was definitely the, you know, that that piece de resistance at the end where they're like, maybe you should go and kill some mutants on Genosha extinction agenda, blah, blah, blah. Right? Like, I didn't I was... did appreciate the reference that Apocalypse is why he goes and does that because Apocalypse is like his middle manager telling him to go and do this thing next. I also want to point out that Apocalypse just told a human to go claim an island, right? And when that doesn't work out, he tells the mutants to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to double check. We have someone who's read nothing up until he here someone who and that would be you steve yes we have somebody who is literally as like motherfucker read up as you can possibly be to the exact moment in the most beautiful way (laughs) chef's kiss up to you over there drew 
we have me who i mean like i've read all of it i i'm lucky enough that my father collected marvel comics pretty un, uninterrupted uh from like 1972 to 1994 and picked up again in 1999 and then when he stopped in 2004 i took over the reins and so i have a pretty uninterrupted marvel run i've completed the stuff in between and i'm lucky enough to own the originals and i've read it all and i could not tell you a fucking thing about some of it because i read it years ago because there's so much to read that a lot of it feels like hearing from an old friend then we have jonah jonah you read three and now this is four where does this fit for you you kind of even forgot that you read three not as an insult to the book but rather you cover so much for this show how did coming back in a month later knowing that in some ways for some of us it was years later for myself or it was years for louise simonson that felt like one day to drew it was really interesting because I, yes, full honestly forgot I did read three. And then I looked at a page of three and I was like, oh, I did read this. I already know what happened. And all the memories flooded back to me. Because that's how my brain works. But what I found really, uh, what was really like striking was seeing the return to um, older comic, in my opinion, older comic art style <laughs> of that oh, very, sure, though. Um, less about the lines and more about bigger picture and and very distinct colors and that, that's how i like to define uh older art so it was something that i was like oh cool i'm back i'm reading all these issues that we used to cover and i was like oh no this is this is a new book this just came out and it's really special to see an artist and a creative person you can tell when someone loves the work that they do and when they have a genuine passion and a genuine enjoyment of the media that they put out and you can really tell that with wheezy simonson with these two issues and getting back into it uh, a testament to her skill that uh i can see just one panel and know exactly what happened yeah i really like that perspective you're talking about in many ways the departure on comics from storytelling to pinups and this is sort of uh you know, just to kind of to kind of look at it, right? And I can I can make it funny and I can make it complex. If you wanted to get into TV writing, you used to have to write spec scripts. A spec script was a speculative script that could fit into a popular current TV show. Well, the rule was the show had to be on the air and the script pretty much had to be able to work at the time. So if anything major happened and changed the narrative, it made it pretty difficult when shows used to barely evolve week to week so that each week you would feel like you were watching, um, you know, a, an easy to jump into episode it became really difficult like with the rise of serialized storytelling and suddenly the spec script went out the way and everybody started writing pilots everybody had spec pilots and somebody pointed out one day but spec pilots don't tell you if somebody will know how to play in someone else's universe they only tell you that this person has their own interesting ideas okay uh and to maybe liken it to something that we're all a little bit more familiar with just because you're real good at jacking off doesn't mean you're going to be good at sex and that's just sort of like where it is right and i think one of the things that happened in comics at some point was that everybody wanted to be a real hot posed solo everybody wanted to be that perfect amazing pilot and we sort of lost a sense of holistic storytelling across a page it became all about how much can we decompress this to get how many splash pages and i feel like wheezy simonson treats her page real estate with a certain amount of understanding it's like she says i only have so much room in 22 pages i need to make every space count and yeah, I think it really is about telling a story as opposed to having a lot of glory shots. 
Did anybody else feel that there was a dynamic shift in the art from what we're seeing in Hoxpox from the likes of Lionel Francis Yu, Russell Dowderman, or Josh Kassara? So for me, it was because what happens is, so Inferno ends with issue 40, and then this issue takes, these two issues take place after issue 42. So there is like, there is a mini story. The Infecta two-parter. Yes, which I was not a fan of. But, it is not. Uh, no, and it's just like, and then this happens right after, which is also another two-parter. So to me, it was just like a lot of two-parters happening one after the other. And I'm just like, uh, like this is too much short. Like, I know we just came off a big, huge event, but... Eh. And you're going right into one, dude. Judgment War never ends. <laughs> the art was, it was similar. It was the coloring that really threw me off. Um, everything just seems like a lot brighter. You know, Laura Martin has a very full, saturated color tone. And I think that that does translate against the stark and severe heavy weight of Walt's lines. Walt's used to drawing Thor and gods and giant frogs. So Walt has this very terminal pen line. It's very... You know, and I feel like there is something really honest about, yeah, Laura Martin's colors being so rich and so vibrant. It definitely changes the perspective on the occasionally gritty noir that X Factor would verge on. Yeah, and I think some of it too is the shading. Like this issue, the new, like this um, number four, seems like it's um, shaded more. Whereas in the older issues, it is literally like, like if you, it's just flats. Yes, it's mostly flats. There is a little bit of shading, but not to the extent that we're getting in current sheets. I mean, digital coloring changed everything. So this story also requires a certain acceptance, right? I think we can agree that none of the X Men are these people anymore. Jean Grey isn't trying to prove herself as a woman and a mom. No, she's trying to maintain a species. That's a lot of work. And, you know, Cyclops isn't this stuffy, repressed guy anymore. He's fucking Wolverine. And, you know, Angel isn't angry and blue. And Beast is an asshole. And Bobby's pretty gay. So those five, they're sort of an inherent, oh, yeah, no shit, they're different. Uh, my favorite being different is Apocalypse. I'm sorry. I don't want to be that guy. I love cool new Apocalypse. I love Big Daddy A and the way that he wants to just protect his mutant babies. But, like, for me, nothing is more fun than Apocalypse being like, we'll kill them all. And, like, that's... That's the funniest fucking thing for me. The time warp on this story takes a significant amount of suspension of disbelief. How do you guys feel about dialing back into these somewhat dated iterations, but that feel, to me at least, kind of fun and light? It was certainly nostalgic for me. I mean, you all talked about the art, I think, pretty thoroughly here. I think Laura Martin does a really great job of working with an older style of penciling and inking in a way that a lot of digital colorists might not do so well. So for me, a lot of it worked really well. It was an issue that didn't strike me as anything like groundbreaking or memorable. It was mostly just like, a, you know, a little peek into the mind of Cameron Hodge. And for me, it was it was definitely nostalgic for something that I literally have not read. So I think it succeeds at being an X-Men Legends issue, if for that. Nostalgic for something you never read. Yeah, that's a really great way to take a look at a, a flashback issue that's a flashback to an era you've never been to. I really like that perspective on it. But now, did any of it feel unnecessary? Not Wheezy getting to finish her story. Wheezy getting to finish her story is necessary, period. But there was something about, and it's so stupid, and I'm just being funny, but, you know, it's Pride Month. Why are we getting straight Iceman? 
was a straight ice man though he literally had his shirt off the entire time this is true it was like a pride parade for him there is certainly an element to i mean i I think that cameron hodge being portrayed again as possibly homoerotically interested in angel he's so queer not my favorite form of queer representation no um it it happens i'm okay with villains being queer but cameron hodge's whole thing has always been like I lusted for Warren and he didn't care about me. So I have to kill all mutants. mutants. I'm an undead, you know, head. I just, I don't know. It's just something that doesn't work for me. And I like that these issue focused a lot on the fact that Cameron was obsessed with telling a story with his fighting. Sorry. I was watching dynamite live in a bar last night. So wrestling is on the brain, but like he was obsessed with telling a story with his physical actions because he literally couldn't speak as a robot. So his whole thing that he was doing was trying to express through his violence to Warren that it was me Cameron Hodge the whole time and he fails to do that which is I don't it's kind of a flat note honestly at the end for that reason but I appreciate the the interiority that they're trying to get give Hodge there for that story Jonah you read the first issue and I had to remind you that you read it which isn't a big deal but coming back and getting the conclusion do you feel like you've gone further with the characters do you feel like the conclusion offered something or could this have just been one issue for you I think it really probably could have been one issue, only in the sense that this was very reminiscent of older comics in the sense that they like to really drag everything out to as long as they could possibly and conceivably make it to be. You guys heard it here. In the past, no one knew how to be concise. No, uh, but if you look at more modern day comics, especially like current X titles, of how much information they pack into very similar amount of pages, there's a lot more focus on these extended scenes of action or drama or whatever have you that the comic may be trying to talk about so it probably could have only been one issue but i don't know if i don't think that it being two issues is a problem i think there was enough characterization between angel being angel and bobby being bobby and beast being lovable in this at least that there was enough room that you can extend everything and you can drag things out just a little bit to make things to be I don't know the the proper word but I don't think it's a a problem you you know what I was sorry you know what I was just thinking is that if this issue probably if this issue would have come out in 1989 it probably would have been a single issue just because of the the writing style then and I think that because of the writing style that Marvel has now it had to be divided into two issues I agree with that I maybe could have seen it as an annual because it's two villains teaming up against the team so that's got annual all over it. But Jonah, your perspective on the framing of deconstruction really shocks me in a good way and makes me recontextualize some of my own thoughts. And I really want to hear what uh, you guys have to say, Drew and Steve, because when I think of what comics do now, I would never describe them as giving me so much every issue. I tend to think comics now are pretty sparse. But if what you're looking for is characterization, sure. Okay. Yeah. I really get that. What do you guys think about the state of that? Can I ask what sounds like a kind of a dumb question for me? In, yeah. In my head? Uh, this is the second of a two-part story in X-Men Legends, you're telling me? Yes. Because mm-hmm. uh, I could have not known that entirely. Uh, having just read this issue, like literally just number four, it felt like a complete story that just picked up in media res. I, it was not necessary for me at all to read number three. In fact, I had not been aware at the time of reading this that the story was a continued story. So I, That's think, amazing. I think it succeeds on that, at least just from my perspective. Yeah, wow, I think that I really 
love the, that. The first issue, it was just a lot of like setting up for this kind of like what's happening in this issue, and then uh, some dialogue between Cameron Hodge and Apocalypse and Caliban. Caliban, and Caliban being like, yes. "Am dog snivel puppy." Yeah, Caliban yeah. definitely felt extraneous, at least in the issue that I read. I was kind of confused as to why he was there. I mean, I know that he was there at the time, but it was like, you know, he could be doing anything else. So he uh, X-Factor saves him in the X, early X-Factor issues. And then when they first meet Apocalypse, he decides to join, uh, mm-hmm. Caliban decides to join Apocalypse. And a lot of Apocalypse's sparse scenes were detailing to Caliban uh, in a very Lord Zed talking to Goldar kind of way. <laughs> yes, exactly. What I come to comics for, beyond, like more than anything else, is characterization and interpersonal drama. I'm here for the soap opera. That's that's what I am here for. So this issue was a little light on that. It was definitely a lot of action, extremely well-drawn action and, you know, tight plotting from Wheezy. But it, it didn't necessarily have a lot of characterization beyond Cameron Hodge, which is a little strange for me. But, you know, what I got I did enjoy. Um, Wheezy always writes very believable dialogue for me. Well, now, okay. So, but speaking of believable, and I really need to touch on something Jonah said earlier. Why are the X-Factor team still trying to convince themselves that Baby Cable isn't like Baby Cable? I I, I mean, I even remember it from the time. And, you know, Drew, I'm so glad to hear that you have such a positive relationship with X-Factor. I probably don't have as positive a relationship with X-Factor as I do with New Mutants. I felt that a lot of the storylines that early X-Factor was forced into occasionally meant the characters had to behave 80s dumb. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, they constantly forgot things that they knew previously. And I'm I'm fine with that. It's not a huge deal. But there is something to the sort of, we don't know how to take care of a baby that's maybe a little too five mutants and a mutant baby for me at times and on that, yeah on that note actually dialed back to it if they if, if they are so dead set on thinking that little baby christopher as he's called here which is a little strange as well for me um little baby christopher they think he's not a mutant why did iceman throw a baby at cameron hotch in a giant robot body he's like here hank catch and they don't catch and the baby just lands on the metal body of the behemoth monster and if he didn't expect a force field to show up iceman just killed that baby like i think ship has been giving the baby a force field even when they're not on ship yeah at this point i think but it seems like they're surprised about the force field and they seem to think it's his mutant power. <clears throat> that is fair. Also, this is not like if I in Inferno, they just they Madeline just throws him around too. like literally all they yeah, all they just throw him to each other. Um, yeah, that was also kind of like another weird thing to me, like the whole like the I just found it confusing because it like I didn't remember because I did all the side stories in that too. Um, I didn't remember that sh- like ship was like doing all the force fields either really so like i don't know to me ship is just like a minor character in the story yeah that to me was just like a weird addition to it like it like it could have not had it and just been the same story i don't know it didn't really make sense i think that's the drama of trying to force a baby into a storyline yeah and i also think like even in the last issue they, they do like this thing where they're like let's like the so the new mutants and the exterminators are like joining forces uh, it's just kind of like the in-between uh period for them and they're like well we'll watch the baby while well, you go take care of whatever his name is in England or whatever. But then they end up bringing Cable anyway. So it's kind of like, and they're just like, no, we'll bring him. And I'm like, but you're bringing this mission on a baby when you just talked about not bringing him. And it's just kind of like this convoluted dialogue that's like, <laughs> what is the point of this? Like, It's making its 22 pages happen. <laughs> 
Back in the day, you needed stuff that didn't change the characters in a dynamic way, so everybody would feel like that issue was a good jumping on point. It's ridiculous. So people just yeah. wasted time. Yeah, and I'm kind of just, I kind of like, that's kind of like the vibes I'm getting from, from like, I mean, it is the same writer too, so it's like, that's kind of like with the, the force field thing that I was getting. I would like to think that with Jim Shooter gone, we could just abandon that, but I understand that old habits die hard. And you know what? Old habits die hard when they're ingrained into the narrative. Yeah. And that's probably my big final question. How much of this X Factor story were were we happy with? Because it just felt like something familiar and different. As opposed to perhaps, you know, the the current state of Gene and Angel and Iceman. This was just a little silly fun. However, I feel like if I was getting a lot of this, if this was a big era of a return to the original five in an original five-z kind of way, I probably would not have cared for this story very much. I wonder how much of this is that the fabric of comics no longer allows for this sort of story on the regular, and this slice of escapism that this issue of X-Men Legends provides sort of is sweetened by its inherent rarity. What do you guys think about it? I don't know if I have necessarily any big thoughts on this issue, if only because of my disparity of knowledge surrounding it. I would say that I enjoyed it. It was familiar. Like you said, it was a nice change up maybe from the current uh, status quo. It was good seeing Jean use her powers in really dynamic ways. I think that's a lot down to Walt using her telepathy like a beam splitter, for example. Mm, Yeah, that's a great visual. Yeah, and Cyclops Mm -hmm. just being unable to stop his geometry powers from being used against him was honestly kind of a good laugh. Yeah, you know, that's something we don't see as much anymore. The undulation doesn't get the same play up it deserves. Did you all enjoy John Workman's lettering on this issue? I actually found the lettering to be extremely calming to read and the sound effects to be magnificent. It was straight up an issue uh, from the 80s. It was like he yeah. sat down with the last 10 issues of X Factor to get it right. That was nice. Yeah, and that's that's going back to the art. That's kind of what I was saying. I wish Laura Martin, I wish she would have done that. that. Like, like, don't get me wrong with the shading and all that. I wish, like, keep that, but um, get, getting, like, more precise colors on the characters and stuff. Um, just from reading it, like, with the, the X Factor issues that came in before, it was just, like, a stark difference. And it, it kind of disrupted the flow it, to a similar vibe where if the artist was changing in the middle of a trade mm, um i get that um and it, it's, it's just like i'm like oh it was so close to like with a like a, a really good flow uh that was like really my only issue with it uh reading this right after the the last 41 and 42 it wasn't like out of all i've read so far it wasn't my favorite x factor issues um like if this was in the continuity uh like it is in the continuity but if it did come out with all of the other issues it wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been my favorite it's just kind of like a no okay and move on Uh, it's a good stopgap yes it is yes like i didn't hate them by all means like they were it was a good story it just wasn't my favorite of the x-factor run and jonah you know as the guy who had uh in some ways the least experience when we covered number three you had read number three a month later you're back at number four how does this change the way you feel knowing that this is technically canon how does this change the way you feel about the x-men now if at all does this sort of slice of understanding who they were uh just before you were born does that help you understand the current characters better or no i think it helps certain characters better than it does others i think 
think it really does help paint the picture of Angel in a certain way where he's still dealing with the trauma of dying and being resurrected and used as the puppet for apocalypse and death and having his entire body changed and part of his whole identity being his wings being turned to these metallic very sharp objects as opposed to the very soft feathery you know angel wings that he did have so it really does at least help add to Angel's characters um I don't really think it adds too much for Cyclops or Bobby because they don't really seem too different outside of Bobby being of uh icing homosexual nowadays but I really don't think that it helps with Beast because Beak has Beak Beast has taken such a dramatic turn for characterization who he is now that this isn't anywhere near where Beast is at in terms of his personality this is still the very smart I'm gonna help kind of goofy kind of Beast as opposed to the hubris asshole uh, gut having Beast who's uh, very cocky in his own abilities but another thing too on that note is that I think this it's really good for readers who aren't a fan of this current era like it is a book for like an x-men book for like someone who's not interested in this era and then so this it it really brings the like since beast has changed so much it brings you back to that character who maybe you liked better than the current version of the character and you're kind of getting a new story with that character i really think you're right i think that that's what the whole point of the x-men legends line is the goal of legends was to create in continuity stories by the original writers and artists and so that's why we got the return of Nicieza. That's why we have the return of the Simonsons. And that's why we're getting the return of Peter David to his original X Factor. I think the drama is that a lot of fans voiced a uh, displeasure with the state of X-Men under John Hickman. They said they wanted it back to the old ways. Well, here's Marvel putting it back to the old ways. And while I'm very happy to be covering it, I have heard from multiple people their shop isn't even stocking it. There is not a lot of discussion for it online. And it kind of does feel like the very vocal minority that this book was created for isn't really getting anything out of it. Hey everybody, Nico here again. Now Rod, Raven, Nathan, and Dante take a look at Strange Academy number 11. This is one of our favorite titles to cover every single month, and we hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making it for you. Hello, and welcome to the next segment of X's for Podcasts. My name is Rod. You can find me at Rod, the, on Twitter and Instagram. That is R-O-D-C-O-M-M-A-T-H-E. I spelled it right. Good for me. And today we have with us the devilish Dante. He's with us tonight, thank y'all. Yay. Hey everyone, uh, this is Dante, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Inferno Magic. That's magic with a K. And I would like to pass the things over to Nathan. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me online at Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram. I think. It's Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram. And up next is the Ravenous Raven. Hello, boys. How you doing? It's Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. D-A-M-E-R-E-D-B-N-T-O. <laughs> Go ahead, just type that in. You'll find me. Hello and welcome. And oh, my God, this issue. 
so, so yes, the issue that we are talking about today, Raymond, speaking of, is Strange Academy issue number eleven. Mm-hmm. With the writer is Scotty Young. The mm-hmm. artist is Humberto Ramos. The color artist is Edgar Delgado, and the letter is VCs Clayton Cowles. <laughs> so we begin this book with. Who do we begin this book with? We begin this book with Toth and Shaylee in a re- new relationship. I want to hear first, since we he's back with us, Dante, we've never heard your opinion at all about this entire series. What do you think about Shaylee and Toth being together? I think it's super adorable. I mean, they're such a great pairing. Character who doesn't talk at all with the character who won't stop talking. They just have a, a, a really great, sweet energy, I feel like. Like, they, they're both very endearing characters, so I, I kind of love them together. Uh, at first, I thought Shaylee was just going to be kind of overbearing and, like, you know, force Toth into a relationship, but Toth seems totally into Shaylee, too, so uh, it's it's so cute. I just, I love it. I love, I love this little teen romance. It is great. I feel like Toth really loves Shaylee because she talks for him mm-hmm. and so he doesn't really have to interpret how he feels because she just kind of like gets it or kind of just like or is just like oh well you feel this way so <laughs> you know what it's kind of like his parents relationship right because the yes! mom is like the talkative queen and his dad is like a silent man thing so like yeah it, it really fits i love it it's so yeah. cute Oh my god, and that does uh, feel like when children go like date their parents, and yeah. it's true. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, it's, 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 it's for people when they find like really good qualities in their parents, and their parents have raised them really right. Then yeah. they tend to gravitate to other healthy people that are much like their parents, um, you know, relationship. Which you know, same could be said. If you had a toxic, shitty family, well, you might go after toxic, shitty people. I'm not talking from experience at all. <laughs> <laughs> we all have had those moments, unfortunately. Luckily, Toth and Shaylee aren't in their young life. I mean, Toth did just get shattered, so that sucks for him. But apparently, he's been shattered before. Like his mom is like, "Oh yeah, this happens. It's fine." Well, no, but wasn't but, he like swinging from a tree? That, he was right, he was swinging from Mossy from his dad. Oh, he was swinging from his dad. Oh my god. Yes, he was swinging from his so dad's cute. vines, and yeah, he he broke a limb. But they were able to repair just the limit. He'd never been like fully shattered. And yeah, oh my God. I mean, he was in so many pieces. I'm amazed they could find all like the slivers and shards. Because if you've if you've ever like broken a crystal, oh my god, the shards are just so tiny and minute and they just go everywhere. And I could only imagine shattering a person worth of crystal. <gasps> you know what it reminded me of when Emma Frost got shattered and they had to like piece her back together. <gasps> yeah. Like yeah. and they had to figure out who murdered her. And like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it, it's exactly like that. So yeah, oh my god. But also when we when we see that shattering, the way Shaylee reacts to that, it was oh, oh, I was like, no, it it hit me like right in the heart because he, like it's both. It wasn't the overly dramatic. It was just that how a person would react if you if see if you see your friend or your boyfriend or somebody just laid out like oh shit. Oh shit! And I'm like, oh god, I think I'm gonna be crying. This issue, I was, I was very sure of that. I was very sure of that. It was definitely an emotional issue, definitely in the beginning, and then it kind of goes to like humorous when we get the cat beast, 
And I like that we finally oh get more of a backstory with Cat Beast. Like, I have not read Weird World Volume 2, um, but it makes me definitely want to because I want to know the backstory oh. with how he got oh, turned yeah. into a cat. <laughs> yeah, I was getting big, like, uh, Luna from Sailor Moon vibes before that whole backstory, but I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's Luna. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's an evil wizard. Oh. It's an evil wizard. And, oh, God, it was so funny because when I was reading, I literally, the next time I saw Cat, oh, hey, Cat Beast. I'm like, oh, my God, does he have a freaking name? <laughs> Page later, oh, he has a freaking name. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's like, oh. But, yeah, oh, thank you for putting that note in there that Weird World yeah. was out because I don't I don't know how I missed it, but I missed it. And I'm like, oh, I got to go get those now. Like, oh, I love, I love those notes because I love to be able to keep the pieces in yeah. some sort of a semblance of an order. Yes, I love those editor's notes. I, uh, oh my gosh, growing up, I lived for them. It was like, oh, I need to go read this comic next. Oh, I need to read this one too. So I know what's going mm -hmm. on. Like, let me, let me have at them. So as soon as mm -hmm. I finish this issue, I deep dived into Weird World. I was like, okay, I need to know now. Um, and so it was it was really interesting because I, I ended up reading volume one into volume two. Uh, and volume one was during uh, Battle World. And then volume two was like the like the aftermath after Battle World had been resolved. And the they have a lot of the same elements in both books. So you I think you could just jump into volume two, but I thought volume one was kind of a good precursor anyway. But yeah, we got we got a little bit more story about Cat Beast, which was cool. I was like, oh, you know, like it's building off of something. It's not just some random character. And it all makes a lot more sense. But the the other thing that I really enjoyed reading volume one was that I got a better sense of the the crystalline people and the man things as well. So it gave me a good basis for a lot of more of the characters in this book. And it really made me realize like how much uh, Strange Academy is this melting pot from all over the Marvel Universe. Like, I mean, we're talking about stories from at least five or six years ago, and it's pulling from that and like not to mention everything else that we recognize. So, you know, there there's so many great elements into this one book. So I love that it's, it's pulling from all of that. That is amazing. I'm so happy you read that, Dante, so you give us that information, because I did not. And now I'm super jealous. Now I want to read it even more. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. But you're right. Like, there's so many characters. So we got Weird World represented. We've got Jesse is Sim's daughter. Like, Sim as a kid? Like, what the hell? Like, who? Oh, anyway, I don't want to go, like, I don't want to think about Sim actually having a baby with somebody. <laughs> but, um... And then there's Asgardians, and then we've got, uh, you know, yeah. Doyle's, uh, Dormadu's kid, like, oh, mm -hmm. everywhere. Ice giants. Yes. Like, oh my, like, <laughs> people from not every, not even just every continent here on Earth, but, like, other dimensions and distant galaxies. And I'm like, I love this so much because it, it blends action adventure that you expect in, like, a comic book, especially a Marvel comic book, with this beautiful slice of life mm -hmm. kind of feel to it. And it blends it so seamlessly. 
So I'm just sitting here reading it almost like it's a like it's an anime or a manga. And I'm just like, oh my god, yes, this totally makes sense. I could, yes, oh my god. It's just, but I love it because, like he said, it spans the absolute breadth and width of the MCU, and it's so good. Love to see it. Love to know that there's more out there that I can go and you know read those stories and enjoy. Exactly. I mean, this series definitely blends a lot of different cultures and dimensions together. I mean, speaking of who makes an appearance in this book, which I'm so happy that they did because I love this character and they don't get enough notice because they are seen as a joke. But we get Howard the Duck. Yes! I'm so happy mm-hmm. that we get Howard the Duck mm-hmm. because, I mean, he is like a magical kind of creature because he is a talking humanoid duck. So it makes sense that he would be helping Strange Academy solve a murder. And I love that he's um, well-versed enough not to be like, hey, man thing. And he didn't like, you know, because he saw Mossy there, you know, like I would have thought he'd been like, oh, my God, I know you. We had a miniseries together. But no, he was like, oh, OK, you're Mossy. OK, cool. Yeah, I, I, I love how they matured that character. Yeah. Uh, yes, I am old enough that I remember the movie. I remember watching the movie as a kid. And boy, that is not something you should be watching as a kid. But um, it, it, it gave me a very um, tinted view of who and what Howard the Duck was supposed to be. He was supposed to be kind of a gag or a joke. It, he wasn't a serious character at all. And here they were, and they introduced him. I'm like, uh, okay, this is an interesting ad. Oh, God, this is, I'm not sure where you're going with it, but they matured this character so beautifully. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, this is, oh, he's serious. Oh, okay. And it was, it was, it was so well done. And I couldn't mock it. I really couldn't. It was, they did good. They did really, really freaking good. They treated Howard more of an adult than they treat Rocket Raccoon. Like, it was amazing to see that. Because, like, Rocket Raccoon, they still have him go around saying, like, I'm not a freaking raccoon. Come on. But, like, I mean, Howard the Duck is more of an adult than Rocket Raccoon. Because <laughs> Howard actually has a job. Rocket Raccoon <laughs> just is like a, pirate, a like, space pirate. A space pirate. He doesn't obey laws, really, or like act up. A job, job, though. That's a job. Like, you go. I mean, it's, it's a job, but like, he made it himself. <laughs> like, it's, it's a job that's for a new work. It's a job that's illegal in most sectors. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he is part. He is officially part of the Guardians of the Galaxy again now. Like they're they're a whole like big ass team now. So he oh, does yeah. have a job. Okay, so I am wrong now. <laughs> <laughs> never wrong. Never wrong. It changes. Never Everything wrong. changes. The status quo changes. always changes. It's comic books. <laughs> I really love the use of Howard the Duck in this book because just like just like Raven is saying like he he's normally pretty ridiculous but the juxtaposition of him as such a ridiculous character being like an adult around these kids really fits really well and it kind of like it kind of shines a light on how like they are kids like they're they are youthful they're silly like they've got this energy about them and like you know by comparison Howard the Duck is an adult 
So it's super fun. And I love seeing Howard used because I think he is great. Um, and he's he's good at his job. He's a good investigator. Mm -hmm. I mean, he always gets there to the answer somehow. Yeah. It, it, the, the panels of him, like, interviewing the kids and all that really reminded me of, like, reading past, like, Jessica Jones books. Okay, but and he seems I like love... a better private investigator than Jessica Jones is. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he's not, like, drunk Ooh. and, like, <laughs> like, Jessica Jones doesn't drink as much anymore but in her past issues like oh no her recent series she yeah, doesn't drink yeah. anymore but in alias but, but, before, alien. but in alias she was drunk off her ass all the time yeah. so like howard is just like stressed out he's just like doing his job he has a suit on like he's professional okay because i mean if you look at him he's a duck so he has to do that like he has to put on, he has to dress as professional as he can to be taken yeah. seriously because of the way he looks, which mm -hmm. could be an allegory mm. for people of color. Oh, I wasn't planning to go there in my head, but it ended up there. So <laughs> I wouldn't. First time, probably someone's you know using Howard the Duck as an allegory for people of color, which is probably weird, but it kind of fits because you know he has to at least in this story. <laughs> he has to, you know, seem professional as possible, just be taken seriously because of the way he looks. I mean, even look at his interaction between him and Calvin. Like, mm -hmm. Calvin was, like, treating him as if he was a movie, yeah. as if he was, you know, just, he wasn't even real. And he, like, had to, like, no, seriously, I need you to answer this question. Oh, I need a lawyer. I'm not the cops. You're not under arrest. I'm asking a question. And again, you're not under arrest. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know. When's my next meal? You just had, like, he had to keep repeating himself to get any sort of respect from him. And yet other, other students, even other teachers treated him quite a bit more like an adult who's doing a job and just that was that. So yeah, it's, it's that, mm, it's that push and pull, that give and take. But yeah, yeah. they, oh, they did, they made it so good. And I'm glad we got more of Dr. Voodoo because he is the headmaster working with Howard the Duck. Because, like I said, he is the headmaster. We should see him more than Doctor Strange. I mean, it is called Strange Academy, but like, <laughs> let's see the freaking headmaster more and actually solve and help students and actually put, you know, um, Toph back together. But my favorite moment was when that app they made up. It was called Boom Bap that that uh, Doctor Voodoo was on. That what is that? <laughs> like, what was I was like, like your beefcake pictures or like what? What? I think so because he's like flexing his triceps. So I don't know if it's like a dating app or like their version of Instagram. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Instagram for like magical people. I mean, or 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 Bumble. Our Bumble. I mean, I, yeah. I, isn't he like? Is he still with Wanda, or did that end? I mean, I know they never. I love the fact that we got to see more students than just our our regular common core. Yeah. Like, I didn't quite realize that they had like a werewolf or a lycanthrope type person. I love this girl with the dual colored hair and the earrings and shit. I'm like, hell yes. <laughs> and you know, she's she's like, oh my god, his handle. She's like. Yeah, I was in Battle Call getting my ass handed to me by Harry Styles 56. I damn near pissed myself <laughs> laughing. That was hilarious. I love the, I love when people, uh, when comics, when people, when comics do nine panel yeah. 
the pages. Right. The we need more of those. I know some people don't like them, but like those are the best. Yeah. And then, oh my God, Gus, I was outside. I'm always outside. I was like, oh no. God, my, my heart, my heart. Oh God, no. Somebody please pay more attention to Gus. I love you. Scotty Young knows how to so fight the heart. I love, I love that Desi listens to Tortured <laughs> Souls, the sound of Tortured Souls, to fall asleep to. <laughs> like... So uh, it's so perfect for the kid of Sim to listen uh, to tortured souls and to fall asleep. <laughs> and this explains why she loves Zoe so much. Yeah, it does. She has the most tortured soul because she's a freaking zombie. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the person who did put Wanda and Do- uh, Dr. Voodoo together was Jim Zup. Oh, okay. Uh, I love Jim Zup. Fantastic writer. Um, and he's like basically the only writer that remembers they were ever together because he put them together. <laughs> Um, so that's a good question, Nathan. Let's ask, let's at Marvel and be like, hey, remember them? They were a thing. Did you break them up? Are they still together? What's happening? They're working at the same school now. I mean, he is the headmaster, but it's not like Marvel schools seem to follow any real rules. Hello, Professor Xavier. Right. I like them together. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I like them together a lot. I wish they would acknowledge that. So. Oh God! Could you imagine how tortured the HR person would be at that school with all that crossover? Maybe that's what Desi was listening to. Just the HR person weeping into a stack (laughs) of complaints. Oh God! Why can't you just stop? Screwing your student. <laughs> Quit restarting this timeline. Speaking of tortured souls like Ileana and Robbie Reyes, Calvin at the end of this issue oh. with his jacket. We get oh. the kind of climax. I mean, we're gonna find out more, but we like, oh, Calvin did it. Um, obviously. I mean, we kind of all knew that, but... but and, well, he, and he finds the heart shard in his mm. freaking pocket, mm. but doesn't know how it got there. Mm. I, oh, again, the heartstrings. I know. I'm like, where did we got? We got to hope. The, I'm sure the next issue, we're going to find out where he exactly got the jacket and, you know, how it feeds on people's emotions, because obviously it's feeding on his emotions of mm-hmm. tortures. Mm-hmm. And that last image was scary. Yeah. Like, good job on Humberto and, mm-hmm. and that, Edgar. It like, was really like a, it looked like a symbiote, kind of a symbiote from, yeah. like, I was like, I was like, ooh, is this a Venom jacket? Oh. Right? I was like, well, call Eddie Brock. He's the king of the the, uh, the symbiotes now. Go get him. Get one of his yeah. children. Yeah. <laughs> That, that, ooh, that'd be interesting. Because, I mean, most cultures have uh, mystical persons or, or you know, people within them. So if it's a symbiote-style thing, maybe it's one of the more mystical ones and is able to channel the energy that Calvin has in him innately mm-hmm. and use it. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that'd be, that'd be messed because I mean, it was I weird. I went back to the beginning to like see if I like missed a clue or something. And when Thoth or Toth gets attacked, if you look at the shadows, if you've read like the the last issues recently and seen when he starts to kind of go haywire, that's exactly how his jacket looked. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I missed it. I, I was literally like. Oh my God, who did it? And yeah, the second reason I'm like, oh, yeah. oh 
but it like oh i still loved rereading it because it's like oh my god like you could tell Cal calvin didn't have it in there no there's no clue no idea and it's it's the thing that he fears most is losing control of how much magic he's using and he knows the more stressed or, or fearful he gets the more likely he is to lose mm. control and that's why he's always you know so lighthearted and happy and you know cracking jokes and whatnot like as a cover but i mean this kid's already been through the ringer through an abusive foster system uh you know a foster family that tried to kill him and that's when he lost control like oh man ooh. Oh. Ooh, yeah, I feel for this kid. kid on like so many levels. Yeah. I, Dante, we haven't heard your opinion on Calvin at all because we have this is the first time with us talking about Strange Academy. What, what do you think about the Calvin's whole like past that we know of so far and situation and all that? Yeah, I'm really, uh, I really want to know more. Um, I think it was issue ten, uh, or or maybe one of, one of the more recent issues where we get like yeah, just I... the briefest moment where Calvin is daydreaming in class and he thinks it's just a dream that he had but i'm pretty sure we know now that it's actually like a memory that he's repressed or just can't recall because the coat basically killed his foster parent or at least one set of foster parents you know and he he doesn't realize it. he doesn't know what's happening so um yeah i'm just you know every time i see this coat and i see those eyes pop up it makes me think like i should know what this is from every every other kid pulls from something somewhere in the marvel marvel universe that maybe we should be or are familiar with and with calvin like i feel like it's like a complete blind spot i have no idea i keep looking at it going like what has a million eyes <laughs> what what is this pulling from and you know i'm sure there's going to be a great callback to whatever this is i'm really hoping that it's something where it is like feeding off negative energy and can be tamed because i mean one i love the look for calvin i think like it really suits him i think the coat's actually probably been keeping him alive so it's possible that this might be some kind of a misdirection still but i don't know i just don't know enough to really know what's happening yet i mean obvious other besides the obvious what it what it appears to be but it could still be that you know somebody is framing calvin and the coat is just protecting him yeah could be could be i mean there's been many characters in the marvel universe that have had like something that is destructive and they've you know they used it for good like look at me and we'll bring up venom and eddie brock again they started off bad you know killing people and all that but now like they're a force for good and I mean, and look at magic, like bringing up magic again. She is you now lost her soul, has soul sword. I mean, she could be causing, you know, the end of the world over and over again, but she's not. She's using her powers for good. So I think Calvin could get that too. He's just a tortured, like what, like 11, maybe 12 year old. So he's going to have to, you know, get some counseling, <laughs> maybe from dead girl. And yes! Then, right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And like just you know get through his trauma and then i i do agree with you dante i hope that he keeps it because that is like part of his why he's there um because he's a magical being because of the coat and we don't know if he has anything beyond that because we haven't seen it but i hope he learns to control it and then give it even more magical powers by learning things that'd be really cool i do think the thing in the basement is probably if it's not this um, which it might not be because I don't think this book is ending anytime soon. It's I hope not. It better not. I hope, no, I hope, no, no. I hope not. But I think the like the at least one of the big climaxes for this series 
will be the students coming together to probably save the teachers from the thing in the basement. Uh -huh. That would make me happy because then we see the young students like using what they've learned to like help the past like older sorcerers and like show that they're like the next generation and blah blah blah. Like yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, yes. So you guys need to write books. So. I hope that I hope <laughs> I hope the end of Strange that I hope the death of Strange that's coming up doesn't have anything to affect the Strange Academy. I hope that's like totally Oh yeah. Weird. Although if he's well, dead, could that break contracts with many of the other mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the deities that he is asking to eat the cost? Yeah. It would break the cost and then let the thing in the basement loose because he's keeping that thing so it's like so many things like come undone because strange is dot is dead because strange does not make good choices and he likes locks things away with his magic in his house in his sanctuary to him and it's like oh that's fine it's locked away <laughs> just like, eat the cost no no just eat more of yeah, the cost. I'm no, like, no, i need on. more of the cost for you to eat and right. they're going, you do know this is like going to come back and smack you in the taint, right? No? Yeah? No? Dumbass. <laughs> and he's like, it's okay. I'll just die. Ow. It's like, well, you, why I guess you are. I guess why you are about to die. <laughs> why are you coming back into the taint? It's the, it's the most painful place you can <laughs> Ow. Well, he's probably doesn't. He fit probably his the, entire dick in his personality, so it's the only oh, thing yeah. left to hit. And that's probably the one place that's not protected by magic on his body. Dante, <laughs> what do you think about this? Not not anything to do with Strange Academy topic. <laughs> you are all are heathens. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we love you, Dante. Dante's like we, we Dante's like we need the Lord and and Christ in this building right now. Um, Y'all need to go to church right now, stat. <laughs> before, before... I pray I... at the altar of penis. <laughs> Hail Satan. <laughs> Hail Satan, queen. Before I get to our last thoughts on this wonderful issue, I do love the last little um, office pages they always put on the back of these books, like the second to the last page. Yes. Um, and this oh, was on, I love those. like, um, this was on Howard the Duck's desk. And my favorite two post-it notes are like, call May Parker, because <laughs> I want to know why. I want to know why. And then follow up with weird thing, cat thing. And because it's cat beast. So he's like, I want, I was like, does this... Is this like hinting at like a Howard the Duck mini again? Because I need it. I want or it. or a crossover. Like he or a crossover. maybe maybe he's gonna become one of those regular jumping characters yeah. like Wolverine. Ooh. Oh, I mean that makes sense. That'd be so cool. That would be cool. I love that Doyle, Doyle Dad is Dork Mamu. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would go yikes too. Right? <laughs> oh my god. Well, yeah, um, I I love these little splash pages that they do. They're so, so fun. cool, and we all know why he's calling May Parker. Yeah, she knows where the, she, she got a body count, and she is happy about it. Oh, it's for sex. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, didn't they like have some kind of weird like flirtation? She's been with Doc Did they? I think so. Did they? Yes. Oh, okay. They've had. I mean, I'm pretty sure they had, or at least hinted at having sort of a, you know, yeah. thing. But I mean, she also hooked up with Doc Ock. She's hooked up with. 
some shady, shady, I mean, shady, shady. Well, she did. She did hook up with Doc she, Ock. And, and Doc right. Ock is not attractive at all. I mean, I guess he is now. So he's got the new body, but whatever. Yeah, but he was like, yeah, not then. Not then. Yeah. But also, like, I guess she was just like, whatever, he's sweet to me. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I don't ask her. I mean, ask the people who wrote it. Because <laughs> she's not alive. <laughs> but, all right. Uncle Ben, I'm coming home. What? Oh, God. Dante, what are your final thoughts for Strange Academy issue 11? I continue to love this book. I mean, there's something, even with a murder and a murder mystery and having to solve that, it's still so charming. Like, it's just, like, everything about it is super charming. It it has a wonderful energy that I just, it, it delights me to no end. So, uh, super love, super, you know, just, yeah, it's great. It's just so great. Nice. I love that. What about you, Nathan? I love how, even though we made it a little more risque than it really is, this is really a really fun pretty wholesome book even though it's about monsters and demons and like but it's about teens discovering themselves but even above that and beyond even above and beyond that it's just like it's got so many different layers like yeah it's like one of those great cartoons where yeah kids can enjoy it but also adults can enjoy it because there's there's something for everybody in this book. Mm -hmm. I, I i absolutely agree with everything that was said there are great characters yes i'm sorry we did make it a little bit more risque but it's because I can enjoy it on so many different levels. I could enjoy it on the level of if I was a younger person and it speaks very much to my high school experience. Yeah. So yeah, I feel it on that level. But also I don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's talking down to meet the level of a teenager. I feel like it is just speaking as everybody would. And I'm like, that's so refreshing because none of the kids sound dumb. They sound like kids who were actually going through shit. None of the adults sound condescending. Well, unless it's straight. He's just, that's just him. That's just him. Um, but none of them sound condescending. They sound like they're, you know, talking to students who they are raising to be great sorcerers, wizards, magic users. Users. So yeah, to me, this is an amazing book that hits so many different levels and ranges, and that is so difficult to do, but they've honestly, they've hit it out of the park with it, and I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, but I mean, between Scotty Young and Umberto and Edgar, like, they just knock it out of the park every single week. Oh, not every week, every month. I wish it was every week. I wish it was. We'd have a lot more issues. We'd have a lot more issues right now, um, but... <laughs> Every month they hit it out of the park with this book. And it is like, I love all of y'all that said it, which was all of y'all. Um, this book is for everybody and it does um, speak to everyone. And whenever I, I recommend this book to people, I'm like, I get that it's like Strange Academy, it's a school. They're like, oh, it's a school, it's a kid's book. But I'm like, no, but like it does have like teenagers in it. But like, this is for everybody. It has so many layers in it. It talks about societal, like, uh, influences and the struggles and all of that and it doesn't like hit you over the head with it it's very subtle and then when it like when you do get it you just get it yeah you know so i really appreciate how scotty young really ties it into a lot of his books and i'm glad it's one of the main ones in marvel and i just want to say big shout out to clayton cowles uh vc's clayton cowles because yes. the lettering yes. is amazing it it honestly helps me 
discern who's talking and what their voices would kind of sound like. And it adds a really great layer to the story in just a visual format with people speaking. And it's it's beautifully done. Thank you yes. so much for that. You're doing amazing. Especially that the difference between like just Desi when she talks, I love it. And like the coat mm -hmm. and Calvin when he's talking with the coat, it's like ah, mm -hmm. uh, it's perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Dormammu, even the way the Asgardians speak, yes. the way the ice giant speaks, everybody's a little bit different. And it, it feels like it's really a part of their personality. It's, oh, I love this it. This has to be a fun book Frickin for them fabulous. to letter. This really has to be a fun book for them to letter because they don't just have to like do everything in plain type place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. I mean, the letters are truly unsung heroes of the comic book world because they don't yeah. get looked over, but they literally, they, I mean, they type what you're, they like do what you're reading on the book. Without them, mm -hmm. well, we just be looking at pictures, y'all. <laughs> are some really like handwritten words. <laughs> so, and that, um, we come a long way from that. No, yeah. no disrespect, people that did do that. No. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a lot it's of a work. lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's dedication, and that was you know skill. But now we have technology, and we can do it so many different ways, like y'all said. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Hey everybody, Nico here one last time, and in this next segment, we take a look at the Mighty Valkyries. We've been covering the Valkyrie story for the last few months, and it's definitely been part of what's opened the series up to more magical avenues. Myself, Nathan, Jonah, and Steve take a look at this third issue of the miniseries that brings Jane and Runa's stories probably a little closer to one another, as well as closer to getting to the heart of this baby mystery that's been raging through the pages. We hope you guys enjoy as much as we enjoyed making it. Don't forget to give us a like and subscribe over on Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. And until next time, guys, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and we'll see ya. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, it's Nathan. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA. Hey, guys, it's Maddie, and as always, you can find me over on Twitter at BasellyCovetous and over on Instagram at TheBasellyCovetousMan. And I'm Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. And we hope you survived this experience just like Runa survived with the Prophet escaping from that one planet that looked kind of fun, but really looks like it bleeds its citizens. Okay, so I need to, I need to start this whole thing with, it's unfortunate that this was not my favorite female Thor-led book of the month, because... Valkyries has been like my raison d'etre for the last year plus between Jane for 10 issues and the four issues of the King in Black tie-in and add the three issues of this, which, by the way, earned itself a legacy numbering on the cover, I'm referring to this as legacy issue 17 of Mighty Valkyries. But, you know, uh, some, some of us were lucky enough to read Heroes Reborn number six, and all I could keep thinking was, I want my rainbow axe. So <laughs> I found myself a little thrown by the, I'm like, oh, this, where's, where's the rainbow axe? I'm so sad. But hey, this is still some incredible excitement. Now, before we can get into anything else about the Valkyries, now, I know this is my trillionth issue of Jane and the Valkyries. Nathan, you know, you're basically the reason we're covering it. But that leaves me a little unsure with where Jonah and Maddie sit with the Valkyries. Now, Jonah, this morning you and I were discussing it, and I sort of put you on this book without absolutely any reason for it, it would seem. 
No, I don't have any particular inkling to read uh, Valkyries. Not that they're not interesting enough characters or I don't enjoy the MCU Tessa Thompson appearance and character. But I was like, okay, sure. I mean, I read the King in Black tie-ins, but outside of that, I haven't been keeping up too much with it. Now, how did you feel about jumping in on this issue of Valkyries? I know you read the two that came before it, so it's not like you were like, meh, I'll be underprepared. But how did it feel to jump back in all at once? It was really fascinating because in classic Norse mythology, I am really fascinated with Valkyries. They're some of my favorite uh, creatures, gods, whatever you might want to call them, mythical beings. And I really love the aesthetic of Valkyries. There's something just about it that I just really love. And I guess I could say that, but for all of mythology, usually within major mythological pantheons, there's usually one group of really badass women who uh, just do everything that they need to do because the male patriarchy within those pantheons don't really support them, like the Valkyries or um, Artemis and her hunters. But besides all of that, getting into this and reading who Jane Foster is and her life of trying to mix being a doctor who got demoted to being a mortician assistant and a Valkyrie is an interesting enough concept to at least get me to read it. I would not refer to her as a mortician's assistant. I would say she is Princess Autopsia. Thank you. Check out Princess Autopsia and the new He-Man remake when they inevitably tie in with She-Ra. Okay, listen, Princess Autopsia is absolutely my new favorite power princess. I feel like She-Ra would want nothing to do with her. I don't think She-Ra would want anything to do with her, but Adora would probably love her. Oh, good God, Adora. (laughs) This book mostly has me feeling neutral. Not that I'm not interested in the characters, but I don't know if the situation that has been created is interesting enough for me. It was a beautiful and fascinating fact to find out that Hela has a wife, and I love that. But outside of that, I'm not sure where the biggest pull-in is for me. I don't know if there's enough excitement, interest, or unique situation of putting these two different Valkyries who inevitably will have their destiny twined. I'm not really sure what is meant to be bringing people in who may or may not know a lot about Jane uh, Foster. I almost said Forrester. Now, I love that perspective because there's nothing wrong with coming in and ravaging, savaging, and being brutal about my favorite character. No, 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 that's fine. But <laughs> I I think that you have a lot that you're saying that's really true. If you're not super into this, I don't know who the fuck this is for. So, like, this is one of those situations where I think this book sells on the strength of Jason Aaron's fan base. Of course, it would be incredibly crazy to not acknowledge how beautiful Erica Durso's pencils are. I don't know if Nathan or... Jonah, you caught it, but Erica Durso is the woman who did the pencils on the Zarda issue of Heroes Reborn. So this is the same woman who drew the rainbow axe. <gasps> oh, my God. She got the assignment and she did it right. She, she did it fucking right. Now, Maddie, I gotta know. I feel like there's a good possibility that I didn't realize that you hadn't read any Valkyries before this, or maybe you've read all 17. I honestly am not sure. But what happened was, 
Kyle has been on this book forever, and <laughs> Kyle said I'm moving. So I was like, oh god. So I had to completely redo the schedule out of nowhere. Now I feel like you have done most of the Valkyrie series at this point. So how do you feel about where things stand, knowing that even if you have read the whole, you know, coverage that we've done so far, that puts this at seven out of seventeen. Or, you know, is that still a new place for you? You know, I'll be honest. I, I, my knee-jerk reaction to knowing that this is seven of a potential 17 makes me feel tired. And that's not a, right. So there's so much about this specific run on Valkyries that should work for me on paper. It is a strong female-led book. Check. It is written by Jason Aaron. Check. Does Mattia de Elise's art make me weak in the knees? Three checks. There's something about this that isn't clicking for me. And I really hope that this conversation is going to help either assuage my 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 feelings on it one way or another. I, I'm hoping that I will either see the book in a new light or recognize that it is just not the book for me. So I am admittedly, of the four of us, the one that is firmly on the fence. I know Nathan has an incredibly strong relationship with this book, with Valkyries. Uh, Nico, I know that you are Thor man number one. Um, Jonah obviously just gave his take. But I, for mm, me, that take was so salty too. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I really, if nothing else, like anything, I, I go into these books with a fresh mind and with no expectations. I feel like reading Rise of the Valkyries is what led me to feel this this tired sensation because with no prior experience, it, it one of my great and many blind spots in comic reading in the Marvel universe is Asgard. If it has to do with Asgard, if it pertains to Asgard, I simply have not read it. It is not for a lack of trying. It is not for a lack of interest. It's just for a lack of, it's not my thing. And I I could not love, you know, mythological stories more. So really, I'm trying to understand my disconnect because it is not in, by any stretch of the imagination, a credit to the art and writing team. It is just maybe not my, my female-led cup of tea. So that does bring me to a question for... Nathan. Now, Nathan, you know, as we're talking about this, everybody is saying, yeah, I mean, Nico and Nathan are are Thor guys uh, to the de- to the end. And like the only person missing to Thor this up even more would be Rod, who oh, yeah. is somewhere out there in the ethos being like, I'm getting on my rainbow bridge. I don't like that this is happening without me. <laughs> so <clears throat> I do think, though that we can sort of trace a narrative disconnect, right? It's it's always so funny because if you ask somebody, so there's, okay, I'm going to rewind time, okay? I'm swinging my hammer really fast. By the way, I'm playing with both a Stormbreaker and a Mjolnir the entire time we're recording this. So I'm swinging my Mjolnir really fast to go back through time, right? It's full on Wally West here. I'm going to keep making Wally West references till DC understands they've made a mistake and a big mistake. So once upon a time, there was Loki, and Loki was a bad man. Loki was Mr. Badman, right? And like Tori Amos style Mr. Badman. And he was a piece of human excrement, you know what I mean? He was the worst kind of guy. He was a raping murderer. He was a thieving nightmare. He existed to hurt people. And then Tom Hiddleston, with that ridiculous body, came in and said... Um, listen, your notions of Loki are cute, but now Loki's a fuckboy. And everybody was like, fuckboy Loki, surely it can't be done. But everybody was kind of like, all right, fuckboy Loki, it could be done, right? So we get fuckboy Loki, and that results 
in taking kid Loki, my precious kid Loki, and aging him into older teen Loki. That's fine. Then we get sort of young adult Loki, and that's fine. And now we have Loki the TV show. Still fine. Okay, next rewind. Now I'm swinging Stormbreaker, okay? So once upon a time, Al Ewing wrote Loki. Once upon a time, Al Ewing wrote Valkyrie with Jason Aaron. Somewhere along the way, Al Ewing left the book in favor of Torn Grunbuck. Torn Grunbuck is unfortunately writing the Valkyrie's title co-created by the writer of Loki during the Loki TV show, resulting in Loki on the cover of the book about the ladies. I think we can say that this is some sort of muddled middling this is that way that whenever there's a big movie the character comes back from the dead now am i reading too much into this or is you know is this the analytics of x twitter occasionally rewriting the synapses of my brain uh, no no i i think to have such a loki focused story uh right when loki's obviously his second of his episode of his show just came out i, I it's there's definitely no coincidence with that I think that um, the one thing that would be missing from this to capitalize on the MCU MCU unification craze would be to have given Runa a lot more of a storyline in this. Right now, her storyline is only like two or three pages. And that's definitely one of the things I would have done to change the story to have them work more together. So yeah, it's cute. We got her name out of the first issue. But I think they could have done that a different way and had Runa be more part of the Jane story uh, initially, where it seems like it's headed now. But um, I, I think it really does. I really think that does suffer from the MC unification of everything with Loki on the cover and the Runa parts of it as well. She's obviously meant to be the stand-in for the Tessa Thompson Valkyrie. And now it's not that I don't have a lot to say about this issue because I do, but I do think that this issue sort of boils down to like five pages of plot and a lot of gorgeous pages of art and a lot of bringing together threads that have been laid out for the last, geez, what, seven years in Jason Aaron's Thor run, right? All of this Hela and Carnilla stuff really is the fallout of the lead up to War of Realms, which now I'm tired. But one of the things about this title that it plays against is something I find unfair. Loki is no longer this guy. Loki might have his fingers in too many pies, but Loki is no longer the guy stealing 40 cakes because that's terrible. Instead, Loki is the guy sort of manipulating everything in the background. I feel this cover, while lovely and really well drawn, indicates a certain a certain level of social malice in Loki's eyes that I no longer feel befits the character where he sits in the Marvel Universe. How do you guys feel about this idea of characters that can't escape their own trope? Loki is forever going to be the trickster because Loki Laufey-son, the character in mythology, is the original trickster. Well, you know, and Anansi and like other trickster gods. And I'm sure there's some much older trickster, like there's a caveman trickster god. I just don't know. But how do you guys feel about this inescapability of certain destiny? Ooh, I I think that with some characters, it is more inherent than others. It is more pervasive than others in their characterization. And I feel like part of, you know, you hit it on the head. Part of what contributes to that in this aspect is that Loki is derivative of Loki of Nor Norse mythology. He is the trickster god. No matter how many iterations of Loki see under how many deft hands of writing, there is still going to be that underline. There's going to be that undercurrent of Loki's baseline personality. And so 
I definitely see where you're coming from in terms of recognizing that Loki is, from my understanding of the cultural iteration and his growth of over years of publication, Loki is no longer, as you put it, the guy who steals 40 cakes. Sure, he has his hand in pie. I do think that from an outside perspective, this was a little bit of a middle ground for me between those two. I think that if nothing else, the fact that Loki showed no malice towards the children in this issue, and if anything was engaging and endearing to them, regardless of what motive it, it was fulfilling, regardless of what purpose it served, if nothing else, was a soft humanization of his character in a way that resonated with me, in a way that seemed a little bit more in line for his character. Well, and you know, it's just so fitting that you should point out that he was so great with the kids on Father's Day because, I mean, technically, <laughs> Loki is Hela's dad. And that is something that the Marvel Universe really has trouble with. <laughs> According to mythology, Loki is the father of Hela. So we are sort of left with a, yeah, you know, maybe it is a good thing that he was good with his grandkids. I really think, <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, good, good and, and step, you know grandpa. That analogy just goes a little bit further because if if anyone has a complicated, maybe a little bit white trash background like I do, you recognize that uh, sometimes really bad parents can be really good grandparents. Hey, I respect that. Now, my question for you, Jonah, is do you have any other incorrect takes about how bad this book is um, that you want to share? I'm kidding. No one laughed, so now I'm sad. But <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, totally. I do agree that this book, like I said at the very start, like, Jonah, how do you feel about this idea of the inescapability of character archetype based on the sort of cultural understanding of who that person was before they became a big deal? Like, Logan doesn't savage people anymore. He's he's Logan now. He's a teddy bear, but we still think Logan's going to kill them all. The inescapability of fate is always something that's an interesting notion about fate in and of itself. Because there's often a theme in plenty of different works, and you'll see it across massive amounts of media, of changing your fate and changing your destiny. And I always question, well... What if that was just part of your destiny to change what you thought it was? You know, there, there's so many things at play to think of. Do we actually have free will or is everything already mapped out for us? And if we look at this map, can you say, uh, I'm going on a different direction? Well, how do you know you weren't supposed to be going on that direction at that point in your life anyway? That's all to say, I'm not entirely sure the treatment of current day Loki because it seems just weird. I either It's either a villain or he's not. Uh, the weird in between is a little bit weird for Loki specifically. I think Loki would fit best as Winston from New Girl, where he pulls really opposite ends of pranks. Where I he, put a feather in your shoe! He, <laughs> I put a feather shoe. in your shoe! He thinks it's the funniest thing in the world, or he releases a wild animal at somebody's wedding. Also valid. I bought the building you lived in. Like I really get that. I just bought. I just bought Midgar. No big deal. <laughs> um, Loki, and especially because we're kind of in a little bit of a dawn of Loki in how his popularity within the MCU, I think, is shaping how the creative and writing teams within the comics are having to treat him and the stories they put him in. I don't know. If I'm not really sure why Loki did this in the sense of, well, what is Loki getting out of it? Loki seems like the kind of person that he's not going to do something unless he gets something out of it. And I don't really see what Loki's game plan is. Does he just want to help because he's just bored? 
Um, is he just mad that Thor is now the All Father, and he's like, "Well, now I have nothing to do." So or is he he's just running around. Is uh, Loki just running around being the Susan Meyer of this Wisteria Lane, just getting involved in everything she doesn't belong in? Better than Lynette and blaming everything on somebody else. No, no, that's Odin's job. Yeah, but. I re- I did like the moments of Loki with the children because that was fun. I'm just not really sure if this book even has room for Loki. And I say that in the sense of reading these three issues back to back to back. There's a lot going on. And I don't know if a Loki story really fits in if this is a lot more, in my opinion, about the dichotomy of life that Jane Foster has to live now and also reconciling with the fact that she found another Valkyrie when she thought all of her other Valkyries were dead. And I think that's a much more, in my opinion, interesting story take to look at and explore than Loki fucking around and causing mischief. Well, and that that's a really great kind of like, I love how you sort of nailed the hammer, nailed the ha- ugh, hit the nail on the head with the hammer, as it were, because it, it does lead me to the other version of the question, right? We tend to think of this as villains who are redeemed or characters who dramatically transform from a dark origin, but not to constantly hammer these people at you, Nathan, but your favorites are frequently victims of their beginnings, Right. I feel like Shatterstar has been allowed to grow and transform. So just like a random one of my favorites, he's a very new person. Gene, while look, what I'm not here for the fucking fight about the goddamn skirt. I'm really not gonna fucking have it. I'm not gonna have it one fucking day of my life. But she was allowed to leave that identity behind. She became the Phoenix and then she became nineties Gene. We know Gene can change. But you know, so many writers are like, well, no. I remember when Karma was, you know, part of the Vietnam uh, disaster and crisis internationally. And so that's where I know her from. Mm-hmm. And Dazzler's a disco queen, period. No changing it. Point blank. I feel like your favorites frequently suffer from this sort of almost ridiculing ideology that overrides any freedom of change or transformation. I also wonder if that version that we're applying to Loki also kind of applies to Jane in the ways that frequently, as much as there is action in this book, it feels a little derailed. How do you feel about this identity problem that is facing cultural iterations of characters as they advance? First off, to circle something way back, thank you for putting that mental image of my mind of Lex Luthor stealing those 40 cakes on, with that cart, because, oh my god, that's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely, anytime. That is one of my go-to. I mean, first of all, that is the best Lex Luthor look ever. Yeah, I'm never going to cosplay Lex Luthor, but if I cosplayed Lex Luthor, I would be doing the Be Our Guest high kicks off of a rolling cart. Um, but onto the for real, onto the real point, uh, I, I think a lot of... Comics is all about change, but then it's about changing to the iteration of what the writers grew up with 20 years ago. So it's it's so writers tend to take the character back to that, move them forward, evolve them forward, maybe in a different way than the previous writer did. But for some reason, comics writers always tend to bring that character back to like what they were 20 years ago when they were first initially reading books. And I think it's human nature for you to fall in love with the character at a certain stage, but it really makes for some lopsided growth for a lot of these characters. Um, just like, like you said, with 
Dazzler and Shan, like they they grow and then they they constantly are regressing back to the state that they were in. Like Shan will become a competent, strong leader and superhero, and then every five years she'll go like, "Oh, I'm gonna leave the team to go care for my brothers and sisters because that's what I did once, so that's what I'm gonna always do." I, I think Loki is gonna. Ex- extremely suffer from that because his mcu version is still that trickster guide so marvel's going to want that synergy between the properties and i I, I hate it 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 doesn't allow the comic characters to grow it doesn't allow them to change it's constantly regressing them back to the state they were five ten twenty years ago well, and from that regression comes a great spark of debate because I was lucky enough to be on Valkyries number two. I did this big Thor reread and I caught up on everything and, you know, I just, I couldn't fucking wait another second. And I just got my, you know, I got my Thor dick wet and I came over and I just fucked the shit out of some Valkyries coverage, <laughs> right? Now, during Valkyries number two, you, me, and Kyle sat here like in the middle of the floor scratching our heads going, when did they decide Craven could fight a god? Yeah. Who made this decision? Now, here's a question. Maddie, you look like Craven. So <laughs> my curiosity, because you kind of came into this story maybe a little bit uh, later in the game, and we had been really fucking confused how Craven could possibly go toe-to-toe with Valkyrie. And then it turns out Hela is behind it. She gives him bullets. She gives him a spear. They even make sure to draw attention to the bullets in Jane's dialogue so that we'll see the comparative point. How did you feel about seeing this sort of hyper-escalation of this character in, you know, in the form of Craven, who for many people is just like, oh, that gay bear that fights Spider-Man? <laughs> I, you know, I, I loved it. I, I, it was one of those moments where, you know, getting over, because I took a hard stance at the beginning of this episode and I'm slowly going to start walking back. I, in, in trying to place where my fatigue is, it certainly is not for a lack of surprises. Seeing Craven show up, I was like, uh, what? Right? How does that work? But I'm going to roll with it because I, you know what, this is, it's one of those things like when you're at someone else's house and they do something like unconscionable, like, you know, leave their shoes on or, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, act of domesticity that doesn't fall within like your purview of the way. You I thought you were going to say, take a paring knife to a Kandinsky, but no, you're like, what? wears shoes on carpet. Got it. Got yeah, it. Got no, it. You wear shoes on carpet. So you, you have that, you have that passing moment. You have that errant thought of this is not the way things are done. And then you humble yourself and you tell yourself, this is not my house. This is not my, my domain. This is the, I don't make the rules. I'm just going to ride with it. And like, maybe they know better than I do. Um, that's pretty much how I felt about seeing Craven. I was kind of like, I I have so many questions and I want to objectively question. But Asgard stories aren't my stories, you know? So who far be it for me to tell you it's wrong. I think Mattia de Elise made him look fucking hot. And not Ooh. just because you said he looks like me, um, but like maybe 30% because of that. I think he's fucking looking bomb as hell. But yeah, I, I was like, why? Why specifically Craven? And as you said, the bullets, the spear it definitely became a little bit more uh a little bit more clear it still was a strong choice i mean he's he's a hunter sure but that's i mean wolf that's all i got wolf well and let's let's go from wolf to nay for a second because one of my favorite moments was when a fucking talking horse was the first person to finally say guys for a hunter he has giant lion eyes for nipples and i need to point out how ineffective that is at blending in at no point did I think his nipples were the eyes of a lion watching me. Like, <laughs> I really 
Yes, woof. Because yes, woof. Anybody who can rock that much pelt, okay. Preferably fake. But the 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 lion eyes, like I need Craven to get a re. I need Craven to get like a really hard makeover, like super hardcore makeover. I'm talking anything else. And he's so hot. Like keep him looking like him. Don't change him. But this costume, like with the right tweaks, Fran Drescher would have worn it on the nanny. And that leaves me a little concerned about how scary it is during a crossover. Nathan, Jonah, how do you guys feel about this this hunter who looks a little bit more like he's really hoping that there's room for him on the bus to Folsom? <laughs> he really wants to be in the he really wants to be in the play. That's what he wants to be in. Um I, I think he's all he suffers from what Luke Cage used to suffer from when he wore that yellow outfit for way too long, where he's really too much of a product of his era. I, I think it's, it's really hard to take him seriously with his disco pelts, basically. Like he's he's pulling the whole dazzler back back into the jumpsuit kind of thing. Um, I do think it's terrifying that he wasn't able to take on a horse, even though the horse is Asgardian. Like he just, uh, Jane just wakes up and Mr. Horse is still there. And we have no idea what happened to Craven in the meantime, after he's taken his shot at the horse. So, so Jonah, I gotta know, right? Uh, Craven comes in like Julie Taymor is about to tell him to walk through the aisles on his way up to the stage. And, he looked that was that that's a terrific Lion King on Broadway reference. All of you Philistines. <laughs> I was I was I was letting it go to, to fruition. I was gonna let you take the floor on it. Yeah, I didn't think it was like totally done yet. Well, Asante Sana squashed Valkyries to you too. So Jonah, how do you feel? <laughs> Jonah, how do you feel about the ridiculousness of Craven as he continues Craven more pelts? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that was beautiful. Please don't apologize for uh, a beautiful artwork, piece of artwork. So I'm going to NFT was... it. Oh, God. I, uh, not, not for Thor. So I <laughs> <laughs> was introduced to Craven in the pages of Deadpool. And this is not a dig at any writer or creative team's ability. I don't think Craven's an interesting character. And I don't blame anybody for the way that he's written because I really don't think there's much there. The idea of a big game hunter is interesting, but if you're going to give me a story about a big game hunter, the only one I'm ever going to be reading is Elsa Bloodstone. I don't really care for Craven. He's very generic in the sense of I'm pretty sure there's at least a very large amount, a large list of heroes that can really easily beat him. And not even just like the most popular ones. I'm thinking like even D level ones. He doesn't really seem much of a as a much of a threat. And it's very evident that the only way that he was a threat to Jane Moore or her Pegasus is that he needed special bullets and a now a special spear from Hela. So it seems interesting that they chose him as an antagonist for this title. All I can imagine now is Squirrel, Squirrel Girl coming in and just going right up to Craven in his face and saying, your hair is greasy. And he just sits on the floor and sobs for the rest of the day. He is completely disarmed. He has nothing to fight that. The squirrel lady just called him greasy, and now he has to throw in the towel. He's going to have to pull another Craven's last hunt. Is it okay to make fun of that yet, or is that still touching on suicide? Uh, 
We can't if we can't make fun of Craven's last hunt, then we can't make fun of anything. Okay, I'm just <laughs> saying that is it is actually like the best Spider-Man story. It's like, like really up there. I really want to know, like in the writers' room or you know, like whatever they were doing, like who sat down and was like, "Oh my god, this story needs Craven." Like who does that? Well, I believe that they're preparing Craven for a Sony C unification uh, oh, because no. I believe Craven is getting a film, and they just announced who's going to be the lead in it. So I think this is setting Craven up across the Marvel Universe. Something that Jonah and I talked about on our way to the gym this morning was how Valkyrie having a title at all times in the lead up to Love and Thunder isn't about selling books in the lead up to Love and Thunder. It's about making sure there is a backlog of titles for people to go out and buy once they're in love with the character. This isn't about setting up people to be fans of Love and Thunder, because believe you me, if the number of people they were hoping to get to go see Love and Thunder matched the number of people buying copies of the Mighty Valkyries, the Marvel Universe as a cinematic entity would fold in on itself. This is about preparing a next generation of stories for the next set of writers who are going to get to run with the elements set up in the films. And I think for that reason, exactly what all three of you have said at one point or another this episode, that it'll eventually be different when Jane is with Runa, I think is a key element of what we're working toward. For a book called The Mighty Valkyries, it has been Mighty Valkyrie at a time, down to the fact that there's a division in the art labor. How do you guys feel about this very disparate idea of two separate Valkyries on the same course? I liked the idea at first, but I was really hoping it would have allowed us to get more story with Runa. But it really feels like we're getting less story with Runa because of it. Uh, I did love, I did love the idea of two different art teams on it. It really set up, really set up the difference between these stories. It really set up, gave a unique look and feel to the world Runa was on. It really gave a unique look and feel to the stories that she was that was being told for her and the fact that it's Tarun Grunback purely writing that one gave a little bit of a different tone to that story as well I, I wish it was longer we, we know a lot about Jane I love seeing Jane don't get me wrong I, I want to see as much Jane as I possibly can give me fucking planet sized Jane I'm there and I'm buying it but I, this was all a very good save on your part very quick work very good <laughs> but um, you know I the point of this miniseries seemed to be more to introduce us to Runa, gave her a name, wanted to get us to know her more. I don't think we've gotten to know her more. I love I love Jane's story, the A story. I love Carnilla. I love Hila. I love even Loki in this. I, I could have done without Craven. You know, put Arcade in. At least he's a little bit more terrifying. But I, I want more Runa. If we're gonna learn, if we're supposed to be learning about Runa, let us learn about her. I think it goes back to our conversation about destiny and that I feel like it's inevitable that the two Valkyries are going to end up with one another again. And that's fine. It's kind of what I'm holding out for at this point. But Runa being a character that they're introducing as a tie-in from the popularity of the character from the MCU, I think there's a lot more work there needed to make the character fully fleshed out in the comic verse. I really think that we need to spend a lot more time with her and understanding her drives, her passions, what her previous love life, love life was like. There's a lot there that needs to be filled in for this character that I don't think we're really getting too much of. And it's not to say that we're having too much of Jane, because I want more of both, but the only way that those coincide is having them both together. I don't 
understand the larger narrative at play right now because it feels like we're really telling two completely separate stories they're completely in their own paths right now and that's fine you can have characters separated but there seems to be a lot more in what's going on with jane's side of the story than what's going on with runa runa seems pretty in the dark about everything whereas in these three issues jane has basically have everything in terms of information handed to her she has has everything she needs to work off with to make her decisions. I'm just don't understand if we have this new character, why is she taking the back burner? Well, and I think that has to do with fitting Runa into Jane's narrative. It's much more likely that Marvel took a step back five years ago and said, let's really push Jane to set up for the possibility of love and thunder. Valkyrie was like a drop-in that just happened to be so popular and so successful. And I mean, it was Tessa Thompson. They should have known better. Like, that's just like printing Valkyrie money. Now, Maddie, you were the guy who said it out in the first place. You were like, I just wish these books would combine into one book. How does it feel at the end of this, knowing that there was theoretically only originally going to be one more issue? This was originally a four-issue miniseries though it looks like the narrative is going to continue. Knowing that you had wanted them to come together and now seeing that we could have been close to the end, where is your mind as we head toward that final issue? You know, I'll be I'll be entirely honest. My The impetus for me wanting to see Runa and Jane Foster come together for these fractured elements of storytelling to come together is a little bit more for homogenizing the stark contrast in the art. And it's one of those things where I feel like there is such a stark contrast in the art that you simply cannot bring these two characters together now unless you replace both artists with a third independent artist. And it doesn't even need to meet that style in the middle because if you ask me there is personally no meeting in the middle of Mattia de Ulysses hyper realistic style they're especially not not with what we're getting from Erica Durso yep right so there really is no no blending together for me the hyper realism of Mattia de Ulysses and the the bold line more minimalistic take of Erica Durso and you know we keep talking about pulling together threads you know that is really what the fates do they really do split and intertwine threads. And so there is sort of a dynamic magic about what we're talking about. You know, Jonah, you read all of this to catch up real quick. And, you know, you had a couple of days to get your thoughts on this title together. And here we are having just discussed what is probably the most female-led action title at Marvel right now, something you're always clamoring for. Now, you made a case for there would have been a better usage of perhaps Elsa Bloodstone, while she's not, you know, a villain the way Craven is. We've had some decent criticisms of a title that, for a book about several women, only has one woman on the creative team. 